This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Podcast about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, brought to you by the folks at Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. The name puns, do they? How how's this one wearing for you? Sand by me. You still? Like I don't it okay? know how to say it. Seven episodes <laughs> in, I don't know if I'm supposed to be like sand by me. I haven't tried that one out yet. <laughs> Well, and I, I just sense I I did sense a sort of uh, hesitance or like uh, well I gotta say this again here we go sort of I vibe. Think, I think I catch myself um, like like an endless unchanging, mm-hmm. you know, doing the same thing for all of eternity. Yeah, and that's, I that's, that's what podcasting is. And I find <laughs> myself encountering the title each time, and like. Should I do a dreamy thing? Should I do a sandy thing? And then I don't know what a sandy thing means. I don't so know then I means. just say the name. Yeah. In that kind of thing that I just did. Mm-hmm. I'm not proud of it, but we're here. <laughs> we're here. I'm we're proud to be about... here. <laughs> talking about the same man. We're yeah. getting closer to the end. Yeah, this one feels unlike, like unlike the protagonist. This comic's not endless. We're gonna get. We're eventually gonna get to that. That was my little wink and a nod. If you've read mm. this episode's collection, Brief Lives, you'll know that maybe, perhaps, the endless aren't unchanging. <gasps> <sighs> what if it's pronounced Brief Lives? Oh no! <laughs> Wasn't that what the band? Live was originally wasn't they weren't they originally called Live? And I no think they were one... originally called Live, and everyone called them Live, and then they added the little pronunciation thing <laughs> over the I, just so it's like okay, fine. If it has to be Live, then that's what it is. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go down to the club and see Live perform. I'm gonna go see Live Live. I'm gonna go see Live Live. Oh wait, who are they? They sound cool. No, I'm gonna see the band Live playing in real time <laughs> in front of me. Is this a dream? This is funny. This is all funny. Uh, funny this is <laughs> this is the the seventh episode of our bespoke Sandman podcast. On the previous episode, so we're going through the the trade paperbacks um, from the thirtieth anniversary edition printing of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. We are in episode seven here with brief lives. Last time we did fables and reflections. Just real quick, last time on we fabled, we reflected. There were stories about Caesar and the French Revolution, stories about, uh, why do I have Daniel? Is Daniel someone? Daniel's the baby. Yes, the baby. Okay, I think mm-hmm. I thought, I was thinking of Matthew. Matthew's the, the crow. The bird, raven, and I was, like, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, dang, did I call him Daniel by mistake? Um, and Marco Polo and uh, the Caliph, and then there was a big old story about Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morpheus's son, whoa, uh, who you Morpheus. know went went through the whole Eurydice myth, 
and then when he came back from the underworld, sad, uh, and his dad was, you know, his dad, Morpheus, they didn't get along. And then the main ads ripped his head off. And then Morpheus was so upset with him that he was like, no, you're not allowed to die. Go put yeah, your head on I'm, an island. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Bye. Yep, bye. You can't die, but I'm not going to talk to you anymore. So that's where we pick up. I mean, it's not exactly where we pick up, but that is a relevant story yes. to this collection. It is the mo- the, from the last book, it is the most relevant of the, of yeah. the stories going into this one, yes. Um, this was collected in 1994 when it was published. It was issues 41 through 49 that came out in 1992 to 93. Yep. Um, there's like, who's the art in this one? Jill Thompson and Vince Locke did like all the art. Yeah, it's pretty consistent one. for once. Which is, I, I've read some like archive.org Wayback Machine review of this where it's like, that's not normal for these collections. It's kind of mm-hmm. interesting though, because this is a really coherent story all the way through. Yeah. What should we, Funny. anything else we should know about this one as we dive in, Andrew? No, from your I don't thoughts? think like that's, we're pretty far into the run now. So there's not a lot of like production stuff to talk about. It just seems like everybody's kind of cooking. <laughs> Gaiman's, Gaiman's cooking. Artists are cooking. Everybody's cook. cooking. Yeah. Um, the 30th, I guess the original had this too. There's an afterward by Peter Straub, which is pretty good. Um, Gaiman includes a note that it was written as an intro and then he moved it to the to be an afterward which i would do i would have done that also because well, it's just it's very spoily or... it has a lot of plot in it but it's it's done it. in a way that is cool and talks about the themes but like it's way better to have read it after you've read the entire sure. collection yes. yeah, yeah 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 so um so what is it how does this open andrew does this have this a frame is... yeah i mean so we we get back into the orpheus thing oh yeah and we're on the like it, the scene opens with this older Greek feller on an island. Yeah, um, where he is, he and his like son-in-law and grandson are these all. These guys have a vibe. <laughs> these fellas, yeah, are all uh, hanging out and watching over the head of Orpheus. I'm like a temple, just in this in the little in this little shrine, and it's helped because it's one of many like semi-abandoned shrines on little tiny islands in Greece and so nobody really comes to check it out but if anybody did they would have they it would be bad for them cuz nobody's supposed to see this head. No, no one's supposed to go in and see that head. Mm-hmm. Um and there's this like whole collection is like just more of a buddy comedy vibe almost <laughs> once it gets going that I really like. I just wanted to talk about like the tonal shift. There's a lot of comedy in this one mm-hmm. that the the books have had jokes in them and some of them have had kind of really like dark humor Mm -hmm. especially like when you're like dealing with the various serial killers or whoever right yeah Mm -hmm. but this one's got like goofs it's got a lot of goofs because right after we meet these guys on the island taking care of orifice's head we jump into the real world and delirium's hanging out and she's we've spent some time with her before but craig tell me what tell me just how you feel about delirium like broad strokes as the newcomer to this work yeah sure delirium one of the endless um one of young youngest whatever that means like they frequently refer to her as a child or a kid or the youngest one of them which fits because she has uh 
the kind of I it's you you what is her how does <laughs> what does her brain do? It's so she speaks in these very we've talked about this before, this kind of like floaty text in colorful bubbles mm-hmm. that is always kind of warping and not on the same wavelength as anyone. Um, she's got interesting blonde hair. She has different colored eyes. Um, and she is just kind of a, whoa, what's going yeah, her, on? <laughs> her, sp- her, what the things she says and does don't quite verge on like, oh, that's so random. Like 90s. No early 2000s humor which is good but like it does sometimes step up to that line a little bit but it's mostly just her sort of interpreting events in strange skewed ways where you can recognize what it is that she's referring to and talking about but it's clear that she's she was paying attention to something different from what everybody else was paying attention to or she's like not quite remembering it right or it is very like childlike in that way it is very honest in that way she asks a lot of questions which she's like that is one of her primary modes of conversation is and for like it, when it's conversation is to just ask people questions about things mm-hmm. um there's like a thing happening later when like morpheus is driving the action and she's just like hey what is there a th- um is there a word for that thing when this happens? And it's this kind of esoteric experience of a relationship. It's like when you go to introduce somebody to somebody else, but you've forgotten both of your names. Yeah. <laughs> like both of the names. And he's like, no, there's nothing. The and But the the way she functions allows Gaiman to have her be kind of, you know, really poetic because he'll do three of those. She asks kind of three random questions. And the third one we do have an answer to. And she's like, what's the word for when like stuff is one way and then it's a different way. And Morpheus is like change. And Mm -hmm. the whole theme of this book is change. Who's changing, who is capable of change, who didn't think they were, but they are. Um, So she kind of like a, you know, she's not quite doing the Shakespeare fool thing, where she's not like trying to provoke people in the same way that like a a fool or a clown does, mm-hmm. um, but she is operating on that wavelength. I think you put it right, where she's like she's often responding to something that no one was paying attention to is a good way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's very um, fun, but she is like you don't know where things are going if she is the main character of a scene. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think it's good that. It's like the the book has this is this is the most of her I think we get yes. in any any of the books. But even even with that, it's still interspersed with lots of other stuff that she's not in because I I find that she works best in like medium sized doses. Maybe she's I don't a think great yeah balance for Morpheus because we've talked mm-hmm. about too where some of the best stories are when Morpheus isn't even the main character, and so to have them balance each other out and then yet also there are these other memorable people that help kind of drive each of the sections of this book yeah so it's not just like morpheus and delirium talking the whole time which mm-hmm. when it does happen is fun but it it's cannot very funny be sustained that's, for that's very the long. most yeah that's the most buddy cop ish of 
of all of it. I'll have to find, I'll have to flip through and find the one quote that I like the okay. best. But so, okay. So the fir- first funny goof in this is delirium wanders into like some leather bar. Yes. And goes up to some like goth chick because she thinks it's death. And no, it's just some like spooky nineties. <laughs> Isn't this, is this in desires realm? Or does it, it? She winds up seeing desire there. I don't think it's in desire's realm, but she she is kind of freaking out a little bit, and she says, "I want my sister." And desire shows up and is like, "Some sometimes I'm her sister." Yeah, true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, does this is this the book where they have we seen the galleries before? Because that is a yeah. big thing of this book, and I don't I th- remember them really naming it so explicitly before. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we've. I don't. I don't know that it's been like a big plot point, but I do think we've seen one of one or more of the endless standing in front of a, like a symbol that represents one of the others, and like, you know, picking up the phone and giving them a call. They've so each to speak. got like FaceTime rooms that they can use with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're. I'm in my gallery. I'm talking to you. And you gotta go. Sometimes you go into like a little negative zone to be on the call. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can transport yourself all the way to their realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just. I'm looking at a page where I saw the art of it, which I was. When I first saw it, I didn't know what I was looking at because it's like a series of gilded painting frames that have like an Ankh and Morpheus's mask and Destiny's book. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite know what I was looking at until delirium like went through there and was hanging out with desire yeah you definitely get a sense of the shorthand that the books you the book uses yeah. for each of them yeah. as you go <laughs> like it's one of the things that you notice more on a second run through <laughs> so and one of the things that's neat about delirium so this whole book turns on delirium missing just like wanting around more their brother destruction who mm-hmm. left who left 300 years ago. Yeah. And there is a purity to she just wants him back. Like it's, it's Yeah, cuz he like treated treated her well and he smoothed he seems to be somebody who smoothed things over between the other endless yeah. so that they fought less cuz we the last big family meeting they tried to have before Morpheus went to hell a few books ago yeah, was, was bad. Like, it just didn't go great. <laughs> Well, and you get the sense this whole series that desire has been behind or otherwise just rooting for bad things to happen to Morpheus. Mm -hmm. And there are machinations. We'll talk more about that later. Um, Despair seems to be, you know, kind of on desire. Well, despair and desire we learn are like more related. They're like twins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of outline that. Yeah, it's just... There's something about delirium that is just like, hey, the guy that was cool, can we have him back? Mm-hmm. And is and is just not at all interested in like, well, he had reasons for leaving, and, and he's also said he didn't want any of us to ever come after him <laughs> ever, ever. So, so she's going around asking the different endless for help. She's she thought she saw death, and that wasn't death; that was somebody else. And mm-hmm. then desire says no. And despair says no, right? But like in like a is, but in in a in a very weird way. And also we like despair is also 
feeling his absence in a way that we don't really get from from desire even dream really who she she goes to next and says hey can we go look for our brother and he says i really don't want to and and a lot of a lot of what drives this issue is dream and delirium's relationship because delirium feels like dream looks down on her and is in like makes fun of her and dream is just kind of a he's just kind of stiff and weird and he's like that with everybody but it's really hard to explain yes. that to anybody what's kind of what, what it reminds me of i don't know if we've talked about this in this run of episodes andrew one of the things that was really nice about the great video game hades that came out okay. a few years ago yes it was a good video game took place in like the greek underworld had all the gods in it and stuff and one of the things that the writing of that game did was like none of those characters could actually die. So they kind of mm-hmm. have to work out their stuff and like mm-hmm. their relationships to each other presume that eternity is how long they will be together. Yeah. And so what is fun about Delirium and Morpheus and just in general the family dynamics of these characters until the end of this book when somebody makes it explicit is that they're all kind of operating with this like and these are just the way that we interact mm-hmm. and then delirium's like but i don't want it to be that way and mm-hmm. we're just like well you know we're the endless though so yeah. <laughs> when we've been we've been given uh indication before that like dream death destiny are sort of on a, a tier higher than the yes. others in terms of like the importance of the things that they do mm-hmm um, which is interesting. And so I think, and I think so sometimes I think that desire and delirium's actions are sometimes driven by just a hint of an inferiority complex. Sure. Yeah. Well, and as they talk about in this book, like delirium used to be delight and underwent some unexplicable change yeah. of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, despair and desire. Like, wasn't there a previous version of Despair that then, like, got destroyed or something? Like, yeah, like, the old Despair died, basically. Yes. But, it, but in, so we get, dis, unlike unlike what Destruction did, it was not a thing where Despair up and run off. Nope. It was, Despair was killed and somebody else had to come and become the new Despair. And it, ha- and it was related to Desire. So to your point about death dream and destiny mm-hmm. being of like a different tier like they have not undergone like a, the same level of hardship or change or other transformation like i think morpheus being imprisoned in the 20th century is the closest he's come mm-hmm. and it this whole series is the the fallout of that happening of that, to him. yeah and how what what it has changed about him yes and whether or not he knows or will admit mm-hmm. it um mm-hmm. But so it, when we meet him in this volume, he is sad about an undisclosed relationship. Yeah, I know. I had to. I had to look up and be like, "Wait, was this? Is this a? Is this one we saw?" And I don't think that it is. I think he's just <laughs> sad about a breakup. Which we've. I mean, we've seen. Yeah. The after effects of that, and we get a lot of commentary from some of the denizens of the dreaming about like, <laughs> oh, geez, every time he breaks up with somebody, it just rains for weeks, and everything gets wet. A lot of Merv <laughs> Pumpkinhead in this. Yeah, Merv Mervin Pumpkinhead. Mervin Pumpkinhead. A lot of Merv. 
Yeah, a lot of pumpkin. Everybody liked the pumpkin head. I like how he smokes a cigar and all the smoke comes out of his eye holes and stuff. It's pretty good. It's pretty fun. It's a distinctive character design. <laughs> but yeah, um, it is raining cats and dogs in the dreaming. He is like ordering parts of the dreaming. Not literally. You can't use metaphors like that when oh, we talk me. about the dreaming because it could get confusing. <laughs> woof, woof, meow. Um, no, it is just very wet in there. And he is also like ordering like the erasure and reconstruction of various parts of the dreaming just to like yeah. make him he's, he's you know he's doing some remodeling to make himself feel better he just does not want to be reminded about this woman who he was with very briefly and it, as a refresher like other uh people who orpheus or morpheus dated what have been sent to hell for like 10,000 years yeah um have been like allowed to be imprisoned by weird uh, authors who use their <laughs> powers to write bad books yep it's his his track record isn't great yeah he doesn't he doesn't you don't want to be morpheus's ex nope generally i don't think um but so then delirium shows up and they have dinner together a couple mm-hmm. of cute frames of them at a very long table together, eating have, some food. Do you have Delirium's dinner order to mind? Like this is this is a good encapsulation. Of oh yeah, what, how she speaks and thinks. Who is this guy? I don't know. Just some weird, some weird dream butler comes and takes their order, <laughs> and Morpheus is like, "I want an omelet." Yeah, and then what is what is an Delirium omelet like? with some white wine? And and Delirium wants, "Have you got any?" And I'm gonna try to. Uh, interpret the waviness. Have sure. you got any little milk chocolate people about three inches high, men and women? I'd like some of them filled with raspberry cream. Uh, fresh mango juice to drink, please. <laughs> she later says she doesn't like the mango juice. But then after that, she says she does. She lied. She does like mango <laughs> juice. She's so fun. She's yeah. really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and she like kind of messes with the chocolate people and then like they're left on the table like boning or something like yes. melted and together just mel- melting and and copulating yes oh oh and she says that they are k-i-s-s-i-n-g each letter gets its own colorful bubble which is uh-huh. cute mm-hmm. she's charming um mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to come forward and say what she wants because as you said like she thinks that dream thinks that she sucks yeah, she thinks Dream's going to say no and is going to make fun of her a little bit. And then Dream is like, you know what? I've just got, I'm going through a breakup. I don't, I'm kind, I am dimly aware of the fact that I'm making everyone around me miserable. He thinks to himself, you know, I don't really want to find destruction because he left and he said he didn't want anyone to come after him. But, yep. Like, I will travel for the sake of traveling. And we're going to go through to the real world and we're going to travel real world style. Yes. On Road like rules. Planes, planes, trains, and automobiles. He um, also, there's like little hints. I think this might come up a later and not as much early, but that he kind of wants to maybe see if his ex is out there. Like he, he does, there's a little part of him that's like, what if I saw the lady that I'm upset about? Mm-hmm. That might be nice. And to your point about him not wanting to see destruction think he he certainly of all of the endless maybe mad isn't the right word but like morpheus is always going off about his duty to the dreaming yeah because we had that at the end of that first issue there's that the thing where dream and death go and they you know yep. do a day in the life of yes death. yes 
And Morpheus is inspired by that and finds meaning in that. And the thing that destruction did is just kind of the antithesis of that. He looked at his responsibilities and was like, nope, not going to, not going to do it. Also not going to make room for somebody else to come in and be destruction and do the same thing. Yep. Like I am leaving and I'm taking my cool sigil off the table and nobody gets to be destruction anymore. And we'll talk about why he left mm-hmm. later, but it, yeah. it, from dreams perspective, he, he abandoned his post yeah. So um, Dream is like, I don't want to find him, but you do get the increasing sense that he has something on his chest, like something to get off his chest yep. about yep. destruction and how he left. He checks with Desire just to make sure that this is what's happening. Um, and also like making sure that Desire is not like pulling any strings back here and Desire which... is like, yeah, listen, I she had the idea to find destruction in my realm but i told her it was a stupid idea i and i'm not responsible for your breakup i swear Mm. all right bye also uh we first saw destruction in the last episode in book six uh for the very first time we saw him right where he's the big guy with the beard yeah he's at the the, the orpheus the orpheus wedding Yeah. yeah 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 um so that what's fun is like Every once in a while, we'll get a panel where we see his face or someone remembers him or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Okay, cool. Yeah, we don't have to be cute about his appearance anymore. We've seen him. We know what he looks yes. like. We can use his <laughs> We can use his visage in the comic now. Um, and so Morpheus is like, okay, Lucian, you, uh, you, you know, make sure nothing bad happens this yeah, time. You're in charge. Call me if anything comes up. And then we get this page at the beginning of Chapter 3. Um that is all about how there are other characters that live a long t- there are other people on earth that live a long time yeah like we've we've seen examples before of how like gods and pantheons and things work in this world it's like yep they're alive when people believe in them and then as they as they lose believers they lose their power and eventually like die in that way and yep. we've got a lot of examples of people who have basically like found new jobs or have like done something else to just like keep going and keep living. Yeah. Um, and we're going to meet, we're going to meet a few of them, but it's just an interesting little bit of like, be basically like, be careful while you're out there. Cause you never know when you're going to run into somebody who's been alive for 10,000 years. It is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's the old, uh, uh, odyssey rule. You never know yes. where you're going to meet a God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a fun chapter where it's a fun little page where it's like, yeah, there were civilizations before the great lizards, the dinosaurs, you know, that were put there to test us. Um, there were, you know, <laughs> but each each panel is like there are less than 10,000 of this. There are less than 500 of this. There are less than less than less than. So there in, there are increasingly f- Increasingly fewer? Decreasing. There are decreasing. There is a decreasing number. (laughs) It goes back further in time, and the further back you go, the fewer people who are still around who experience that thing. But they've been around a while. And so we meet this guy named Bernie Capex. Capex? Capex? Capex. That's a movie. Um, Uh, He is a lawyer who steps off a bus, and then a wall falls on him, and he dies. Oh, no. And he's been alive for 15,000 years. Yeah. And Death shows up and he's like, man, that was a stupid way to go, huh? And Death's like, I mean, you got you got a life. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, 15,000 years is pretty good. And she's like, you got what everybody gets, a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that's like another big thematic thing for this whole collection. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets their lifetime is the thing. So uh, Dream and Delirium take their show on the road. They go to meet a travel agent who is somebody who Dream knows from way back when. Used to be... Pharamond. Yeah, used used to be a god, I think, and Dream... Gave him career advice and kept him from dying because now he's just a travel agent. I, and I don't want to tell him what Uh-oh. happens to travel agents Uh-oh. within like a decade of this book being published. But <laughs> for right now, he seems like he's doing great. And yeah. maybe, you know, maybe if we met him in a later, like a modern day Sandman volume, he would just have like cast William Shatner in the the Priceline commercials or something like some other <laughs> significant travel related thing. Yeah. Um but they're gonna he's Morpheus is calling in a favor. Yeah. And he's and he's booking he's booking real world travel, yeah. which is a big linchpin of of all the stuff that happens. Which is next. just kind it's, of like cause he thinks that's how they should do it, right? Like it's not Yeah, we've we've seen uh Morpheus traveling through the real world, like like Spider Manning between people's dreams, basically yes. to like physically transport his body. We've also seen him just like poof into places. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, they've they've decided they're gonna do it the old fashioned road trippy kind of way, which is fun for this for this time. So yeah, they book they book a delirium sitting in this lobby making frogs, yep. uh, and they you know they talk to the guy, they book a plane ticket. And they're then they're gonna go, and he also arranges them, uh, sort of an antique car and a driver, and they're just gonna they're gonna drive across the U.S. Oh, to find find friends of destruction who might maybe possibly be able to point them in the direction of knowing where he is. Yes. Yeah, so Delirium has this envelope with a couple of names of friends, or not names necessarily. Names or like loose descriptions, depending on. Yes. Yeah. The lawyer who's Bernie, who got the wall fell on him. Uh, the alderman who we haven't talked about yet, but that is a another god, a Sami god, I think, that mm-hmm. we'll talk about. Um, Eden of the second look, who is based on like an Irish goddess. And then the dancing woman who we'll talk, who we'll talk about is Ishtar. Um, but. We just have this weird list from Delirium <laughs> written on yeah. an envelope, and I and they're gonna hire a car, uh, and drive and go find them in America, cause mm-hmm. you know. But right, well, we've get like Eden's building blows up, right? That's the next mm-hmm. thing we see. Yeah, she she makes it out, but she does go into hiding. But it does. It seems like the people on this list have bad stuff happening to them for for some reason but it does seem to be a targeted thing i think i had not just like cards on the table here that second it took me until maybe the next person who got into danger for me to clock that that's what was actually happening yeah that's fair because i mean you don't know that the 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 Bernie guy who dies at the beginning of the yeah of this is going to be on the that book list is and, is the yeah. lawyer like you the the descriptions are so vague that you don't really quite know what's going on. It's only once you've met a few of them that you get the connection between yes. everybody. Like it's not just delirium being weird. It's like actually a <laughs> list of specific people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we get introduced to a beardless destruction mm-hmm. who's just. Hanging out and being super mediocre at a bunch of different 
fine Pops. arts. He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He's really interested in a status quo existence with his dog Barnabas, who he is talks. just giving him the business all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's like trying his hand at painting, at poetry, at cooking. It is maybe it's uh, the role of destruction in this book is interesting because simul- you, you both you both need destruction for creation to be able to happen. Correct. At least in, the, in the way the book sets it up. It's in the like, mythology. You, yes. For, yes. For something new to rise up, you need the old thing to be cleared away or destroyed in some yep, way. Yep. Yep. But also destruction, the the endless, the embodiment of destruction is pretty bad at making stuff. Just like, <laughs> yeah, just like, like the poem he writes is really terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the painting we don't get to see close up, but Barnabas's review of it is pretty scathing. Nobody wants to eat the food he makes. Yeah. Though, but some of that is because he's trying to serve it to endless gods yeah. who don't eat. But the, sure. the thing that comes up in his later scene where he talks about destruction really meaning change, and I what and and what you just said, I think what's neat about this kind of bad art that he's making is that he is not interested in destroying anything to make it. He is no. because he's abdicated his responsibilities there's no cost to any of the stuff he's making so it is inherently is less it has less worth than something that had (laughs) that had any sort of cost right Uh like thematically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but he also has this room he has he kept his own little gallery yeah his little his phone book for the endless he kept and he's got a little pool in the ground that bubbles if somebody's looking for him. Yes, like in the core. <laughs> is that the one? Is that? I don't know. I've never seen the core. The movie that, or is it's it's a one of the disaster movies where like the sun is is like beating us with some kind of rays, and there's like a scene where they open up a hatch and some like water's boiling or something. If anybody remembers Ooh. this movie, I think it might be the core. But if somebody remembers what movie I'm talking about. <laughs> Hit me up. Okay. It's definitely um, one of those ones where it's a scientist who sees it and he needs to, he's the lone voice in the man. wilderness trying to convince the president of the United States to take the threat seriously. I miss when that was like a linchpin of yeah. action movies. Might be 2012, like the movie 2012. Oh, I'm not yeah. Sure. sure. That's but, a movie uh, I've seen. Yeah, it's it's like that. <laughs> it is. You're, it's exactly like that. Whatever movie that was in, it's like that. Delirium and Dreamer on a plane. They take a plane together. Dream talks to a little girl named Chloe, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just just some fun plain stuff. Yeah, so, like what if this is some? This whole book has a lot of these little moments of like the endless interacting with mortals in a way that, with a few exceptions, is not super fraught. Like what if they had non fraught interactions? Yeah. With what if people? it's what if they're mostly charming? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, they meet Ruby, who's going to drive their car, and that's that's the scene where we get Delirium asking about the, what's the name for the word, for things not being the same always, you know, I'm sure there is one, isn't there? That's change. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they're going to set off with Ruby. Oh, this is where we meet the, can you tell me about this Alderman situation here? He's just, we don't really get to know him at all, except we are seeing people who are on this list of Delirium's, like, 
immortals or more, go in, you know. Try to go into hiding. Just the alderman tr- turns into a bear, and then he e- he gnaws his own shadow off, and yeah. then his shadow goes and becomes the alderman. Yes. And he's still a bear. So he's it's kind of a decoy, basically. This you got, is... So now you got this bear without a shadow, and then you <laughs> then you got the alderman. I believe Who's it is a shadow without a without substance. I Liebel guess. Mai is what he is based on. Um, the thing that I thought was cool is he makes these nets, these death traps mm-hmm. in a tree mm-hmm. that like when deaths happen or when one is about to happen, like something like the trap is breaks. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, snap, something's about to go off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that. When I read that, I was like, hmm, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, somebody's <laughs> going to get it. And yeah, and then a bear eats his shadow, and you're like, what yeah. is going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have some we have some dream and destiny, or not destiny, dream and delirium road yep. trip. I kind of want to. Yeah, yeah. We can speed through a couple things here, yeah. Yeah, because sure. like we we meet Bernie, the lawyer's son. Son, and, uh, we stop at a hotel with with Ruby, who is also killed through. I mean, it could be an accident. It, Ruby's the driver of their yep. car. Yep. Uh, could could be an accident, but it doesn't seem that way. This is what makes Dream start to suspect that somebody's paying attention to what they're doing and doesn't want them to be doing it. Um, that happens. Right after we get a flashback to destruction in the Renaissance era or whatever, um, showing Dream the advent of science, like modern science mm-hmm. is starting to take shape. Some guy is, uh, you know, doing a an autopsy of an orangutan. Yeah, and he's basically he's basically like, listen, I know I've seen this happen before. There is no end to this that does not involve everybody getting exploded <laughs> yes and they and they don't need me to do it they're on their own yeah. path mm-hmm. um also the corinthian is hanging out there eating eyeballs yeah just hanging out just getting a just remember the corinthian remember him remember him um then we come... he, boy he the, boy, this guy seems to like this field trip into the real world that dream let him go on i hope nothing i hope it doesn't awaken anything in him <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so then that hotel burns down and Ruby dies, um, which is kind of sad. And then uh, it's kind of sad, but it's also kind of funny because yeah. Delirium is Gets like, to drive. now I get to drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that section, we also, we also got introduced to Tiffany and Ishtar through Delirium's kind of like magic portal listening powers. Um, and so we meet these two characters. They are both strippers at the Suffragette Club. Yeah, that's how Delirium knows where to be driving to. Yep. Is she has sort of reached out and tried to find the minds of some of the people who she wrote on the envelope. And yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, she makes so, a cop think he has bugs on him forever. So this is this is the funniest <laughs> uh, bit of like dream delirium interaction that I think happens is yeah. like Delirium is driving super bad. Very bad. <laughs> Just so bad. And so a cop comes and pulls her over and is like yelling at her. And she says, I think you're nasty to me now. I think you'll have invisible insects all over you now for all your life and forever and always. Yep. And so that happens. Yep. Uh, Dream calls in Matthew and is like, hey, you know how to drive, right? <laughs> and Matthew's right. like, well, I mean, I did die in a drunk driving car accident. But yeah, basically, I know how to drive. 
Uh, so Dream calls Matthew in to give uh, delirium driving lessons, and Matthew sees the cop twitching on the ground, scratching the imaginary bugs all over him. Yeah. And Matthew says, hey, what's with him? And Dream says, he's troubled by delusory insects. <laughs> I think Dream's like... And I like... think the, the, like, matter, the deadpan like, matter-of-factness of troubled by delusory insects is... is <laughs> A fun example of the interplay between their two <laughs> perspectives, like together on this road trip. Yes, I think Dream's deadpan quality, Dream's over seriousness, has not been played to as much comic effect. Mm-hmm. And by putting him next to Matthew and Delirium in the same scene, you get he just says the same thing he would normally say, but now it's funny. Delirium, this is Matthew. He will advise you on the protocol of vehicle management. <laughs> Uh, Delirium so, will drive. You will advise her. I am sure you will find the experience one of great interest and variety. <laughs> he says. So then we spend more time with Tiffany and Ishtar, um, both strippers. Um, Ishtar. These are their stripper names. These are their stripper names. Um, we got a few references from Tiffany, just about her life, but also like remarking on the fact that Ishtar is clearly a more talented dancer than she is showing at the club. Um, keeps asking her about it, but Ishtar won't give a you know a straight answer. And then we get into the club. I love the art in the club. I think the art in the club rules. Mm-hmm. It is this like super like the amount of colors is kind of stripped down. There's not um, it's appropriate. Oh Jesus! Oh, God damn it! <laughs> um, uh, none of the art has like pencil lines. It's mm-hmm. all just shaded, almost like kind of stripes. And um, I don't know. It, it gives the sense that they are in a different quality of light, I think, is the best. That's how I interpreted it. Like, it's mm-hmm. all the light of the club. and Yeah, the dim light of the, of the, of the gentleman's club. Yes. And Ishtar tells this story about, um, you know, back in the day, in a different era, um, in a different civilization, uh, a different form of like prostitution where like women would have to go to this temple and you couldn't leave until you finally had sex with someone. And, but it was like still part of a matriarchal society because women had power over what was happening. Mm-hmm. She seems to have um, some specific knowledge of that era. Cause maybe <laughs> she was there. Maybe she was there. Maybe she's one of these people who we've heard about who live forever and ever and ever. Yeah. She's a God. She's a goddess. Mm-hmm. She's one of the people that was there. Um, and then all the other characters show up at the club, and Delirium and Dream are are coming around, and Dream talks to her to try to find destruction because she used to uh, with destruction. Oh God, that the vocal that bit of vocal fry was <laughs> speaking of destruction. That was too much. <laughs> you gotta stop. Uh, and Dream was like, "Okay, you're not going to tell me anything." Um, Delirium is like, okay, I guess we're leaving. Matthew mm-hmm. would have liked to stay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And then ha, 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 Ish- ladies. Ishtar. And then Ishtar dances so good that it blows up the strip. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, listen, I'm going to do the real dancing. And a guy like bleeds out of his face and another guy melts. And then the whole club blows up. Yeah. And Desire gives Tiffany a jacket. Mm-hmm. Like at least you were smart enough to get out. Yep. Because there's a big there's a big thing with Tiffany is like, 
guys she has dated, other people who she strips with at the strip club, all call her stupid a lot. And she is really self-conscious. Like she does not like to be called stupid. No nope. desire comes up and is like, Hey, you were, you were smart enough to get out before Ishtar blew up the club with her bomb dance. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut back to destruction, hanging out with Barnabas, making bad poetry. Mm-hmm. And then delirium and dream, like break up. They go separate ways for a little while. Yeah. Dream is like, listen, I think there's, I think that bad people are happening to the yep. all the people we're talking to. I don't want to find our brother. I think we I think we just need to stop. I am not going with you anymore. And she is very clearly upset, which does shake him a little bit. And he is shook she, by the she death. She thought they were yeah. they were having a good time. And being she friends. was driving. Yeah. Um and he is shook by the death of Ruby who was just like doing a job. From, and was hired by a friend of his to drive them, and now she's dead. And he's like, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem right. Which later characters point out, like, Morpheus, what? you've never thought that way. <laughs> like, what's mm-hmm. happening to you? Mm-hmm. So he decides to consult uh, Bast, the Egyptian cat lady. Yeah, we met her briefly in the, in the Morpheus auctioning off the key to hell. Because she said, episode. I will yeah. tell you where destruction is for the key. And he's like, nah, that's okay. And now he's like, hey, do you actually know? And she's like, no. <laughs> no, I was lying to get what I wanted. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> and then they both look at each other for a few panels, thinking about whether or not they should have sex. And his I face mean, I think looks... Bast is interested in that. And Dream is like, listen, lady, I just, <laughs> I just wanted to. <laughs> well, his face like looks like a cat by the end of the scene. Yeah, he does a little bit of his, his Morpheus aspect shifting. But then he leaves. Yeah, and she wakes up, and it's like a bummer because she is not; she is a god on her way out. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, that's what that is. Um, yeah. He checks in with Death, and Death is like, "What did you say to Delirium? She's very upset. Why are you being a big jerk?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because she's like shut off her whole realm, realm like her yeah. her little. Uh, thumbnail on everybody's on everybody's uh endless wall Mm -hmm. like has has gone dark because she doesn't (laughs) want she doesn't want people to come in there and she's like listen just because you're sad about a breakup doesn't mean that you can be mean to delirium uh go make it right yeah so he goes into the delirium's realm which which is just a weird like ransom note kind of it's a lot of collage yeah um and just kind of really psychedelic colors and shapes. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, Ransom Note meets Psychedelia meets like Lisa Frank. Yeah. Meets like every 90s alt rock album cover. <laughs> sure. Uh, and he just gets on his knees and apologizes flat out. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'd, I had my own reasons and I you know, wasn't really taking this seriously. And I didn't mean to hurt you. Let's keep going. Yeah. And and she says, Dream, do you like me? And he says, Yes, I suppose I must do delirium. You entertain me and it distresses me to see you troubled. That is a way to describe what it is to like someone. To like somebody, <laughs> yeah. You entertain me and it distresses me to see you troubled. Is a good yes. That's a good baseline like description of friendship. Uh so then they're gonna go off. Um destruction. Back is- on the road, baby. We're back. 
Destruction is bad at food and sculpting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Barnabas is still making fun of him. Yeah. Uh, Dream has realized at this point he's got... Well, okay, so they go to see Destiny. Destiny. Because he's like, we can't just keep following the list. This is bad. People are dying. This is not the way to go. Something else. We have to go higher up. Yeah. And they show up to Destiny. He's basically like, yeah, I can't tell you anything. You know how this works. Yeah. But there is there is one person who's in the who's in the family who's kind of an oracle who might be able to tell you that's right because what you need to what you need to do next because bast was like hey you would need to seek an oracle to find him and he's like no oracles can you know scope the endless like nobody has mm-hmm. find my friends on the endless unless you're an endless <laughs> and I might find my friendless yeah <laughs> and destiny is like well you know there are people who have the blood of the endless and one of them might be an oracle. Mm-hmm. There's also like, this dream is just like, <laughs> what is so the, this is also where delirium like sees a statue of herself as delight. And then also like becomes a way more ordered version of herself for like three panels. Yeah. Because dream takes the uh, dream understands that he needs to go and see his son who he has sworn to never see again. Yeah. And kind of has a little bit of a breakdown about it. Yeah. And so delirium for a moment needs to like pull it together and be, be the serious one. Yes. Like her eyes become the same color and people are like, Whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second that Morpheus is better, she is back to being kind of kooky delirium. Mm-hmm. So then we see a version of the scene briefly where he left. Uh, what am I supposed to do, Andrew, with this shot of naked Morpheus in space with his mask on and the robe flying around him? That is the, <laughs> I can say, I mean. I'm just, I, it's a weird, it's a really. It's, like, a, it's a weird shot. It's just you, you're seeing Morpheus like right before he got snatched into. That's right. And he's very demeaned in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Into the, um, into the, the prison that trapped him for 80 years or whatever. <laughs> there is a, one of the sequel prequel comics that's okay. come out since this concluded details this episode. It's fine. I think all the, we can talk about it maybe at the end of. Yeah, the, sure. Of stand by me series i think all the modern sequel stuff at least the stuff with gaiman's involvement that came in this box set that we bought is like fine but i don't think i don't think any of it is you made a pretty essential. like it's strong definitely decision for, to be like we don't need to do that as part of this series yeah i it's i think it's all all of it is very much like for fans only and also <laughs> if you for only fans for only fans you might say and in a way like if you are picking it up hoping for a straightforward continuing of a story where you find out more about what the characters got up to after the conclusion of the events of the Sandman. There's almost none of that. Like it's almost all (laughs) stuff happening like simultaneous with the the events of this or like prequel stuff or to anybody who comes to those volumes expecting that I would say, did you read the Sandman? Did you 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 read read the Sandman? Where you read Mm -hmm. one book and thought maybe the next book would do the next thing and it doesn't, it fables and reflects (laughs) instead. Yeah. You know, you if you're a fan of the Sandman, you know it's not going to be the it's next thing. It's just like Gaiman came back to do multiple one-off revival projects over the course of like a couple of decades yeah, and yes. did not decide to just like give you whatever the next yep. thing was. Yeah. It's I I it's not that I 
found them unsatisfying, but I think if you put down book 10 and you're like, man, I want some more of that, I don't know that they quite sure. scratch that. Yeah. Scratch well, they're, that they're, itch, so. they're never gonna because they're not part no. of the original thing. It's no, that's how it works. But, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, that's the high high level summary. But yes, anyway, yes, it's this very it's a weird shot with him in his like bug <laughs> bug mask. It's just wild to me. Yeah. Um, they go to the Greek island, and they get past the you know they have to talk their way through the Greek guys who don't understand who these magic people are, mm-hmm. and then we don't see. I was really struck by the fact that we this section does not show us. Morpheus talking to Orpheus. No. He goes into a room. We see him disappear. And then at the end of the next page, he comes back and is like, okay, I talked to him. Yes. Looking, looking very, uh, d- even for dream, looking very moody and depressed. Yep. Yep. The, first, yep. the first panel, we see his face. <laughs> um, so then I just, that was like after the whole length of this book to not see that interaction was very powerful. So then mm-hmm. the uh, Orpheus told him where to go. There's another island, and they find Barnabas and destruction. There is just one side note oh, yeah. on this. Like on the Greek island, we get a we have the tombstone of Lady Joanna yes. Constantine, who yeah. we met in the Fables and Reflections book. And I just her the thing written on her gravestone, be to her virtues very kind, be to her faults a little blind. <laughs> it's like it's pretty pretty good as a tombstone inscription. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, destruction is like, hey, I made dinner. They're mm-hmm. not interested. And there's just a long. Well, first, <laughs> Delirium summarizes the entire collection. Yes, over a page and a half. Yeah, and it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. It's very charming. I mm-hmm. like it a lot. I like that a lot. Um. And so I went to see Dream and I thought he'd say no, but he gave me little chocolate lovers and he said, okay. And we saw this traveling man and I made little frogs and this lady wanted my name and I went on an airplane. (laughs) I like airplanes. I like anywhere that isn't a proper place. I like in-betweens. And then Mm -hmm. I did driving and I was really good. (laughs) (laughs) She just, you know, she wants to say that it was her that made all this happen. Mm -hmm. And Dream's like, yeah, she's right. She's not lying. Uh, and then we get into like it's a very long philosophical interaction, mostly between dream and destruction, with delirium chiming in mm-hmm. because, as we said, De- delirium's goal here is pretty clear. Like I want him to come home, and dream is like I I don't know why you left really, mm-hmm. and destruction is like listen. They don't need me to do the destruction part. Yeah, like maybe is it a little less like orderly and regimented without me there? Like maybe, but it does. It's still happening. Like I'm not. I have abdicated my responsibilities, but it's not. It's every person who's ever been like, well, I can't I can't leave this job to get a better job or to go do something else like this. This place needs me. I'm irreplaceable. I would like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you're literally, you're not literally irreplaceable. No, and and he is like, I also don't want to be responsible for it either. Yeah, yeah, like it's still happening, and it's not my fault anymore. Is basically the 
the takeaway yep. because he did it. Does he say he did it for like 10 billion years? Yeah, like it was a, something like it that. It was a huge time scale compared to the 300 that he's not been doing it. So like yes. we're still kind I would argue <laughs> that we're still basically in a probationary period on this whole like destruction keeps on rolling thing. There's and there, there's two other things that come out of this. One, he has like a weird conversation with death that like messed his like like cooked his noodle as as uh the oracle from the matrix might say baked <laughs> baked your noodle okay where she says something to the effect of everyone knows everything we just tell ourselves we don't to make it bearable like mm-hmm. all creature all sentient beings know everything there is to know in the universe and delirium's like yeah that's totally right that's exactly yeah. how my brain works mm-hmm. so that kind of messed up destruction and then the other thing that destruction says is like, hey, we're not like people. Like we are like systems of things that happen. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to do this. And also our time will end at some point. Yeah. Because people will not like work the same way or believe the same thing. Like We are not immune to that entropy even just because our like we represent bigger stuff than an yeah, individual the, pantheon. The the endless as we've encountered them over and over are both like in charge of their realms, but also only exist because the people who they're in charge of are like be- like are experiencing yeah. or believing in the things that they represent. Yes. What what if a, a like what if the universe was populated with creatures that didn't dream like dream would just cease to exist that's what destruction yeah. is saying mm-hmm. um and dream doesn't really know what to do with that um but he comes away from this whole interaction where destruction destroys his gallery makes a little bindle out of his a few his sword what his sword and his little pool yeah and pieces out into the sky <laughs> to a different mm-hmm. dimension Mm-hmm. He gives his dog to delirium, which is very sweet. Yeah. And basically it's like because oh, Barnabas would not survive where destruction is going, <laughs> he says basically. <laughs> That's true. Um and he's like, Hey Dream, you changed. Uh that whole thing with your son was kind of messed up. Yeah, whether you want to admit it or not, you changed. And then the last little bit of advice that destruction leaves for Dream is if it sucks, hit the bricks. <laughs> Just walk out. You can leave. Yeah. Destruction is the share zone. He is the share zone. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's, you know, if destruction could get to the point where what he was creating was the share zone images, I think that would be good. As good as he could get. I think. I'm wondering now if the share zone isn't an endless. Mm-hmm. It might be. It represents sort of endless ideas. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I think you're right. The graphic design is my passion level of destruction. Yeah, creating yeah. That. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so then uh, Morpheus and Delirium go to see Orpheus. Delirium says hi briefly and then leaves. And then they talk a little bit. Orpheus mostly is like, hey. Oh, because Orpheus you know, asked for a boon in, 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 uh, payment for the information. Yes. Which dream has been doing this whole series. 
and it's very clear that the boon is going to be kill me. <laughs> like yeah. you made my head here. Yeah, I do would the, like do the thing you said you would never do for me, please. And he does like express a little bit of fear about it because he's been thinking about it for so long. But he does say that he is ready. It's very. Uh, it is not. There's gruesome, a lot of blood, <laughs> but there's a lot of blood. <laughs> Um, in that, in just that one head that's not even bleeding out of the neck, there's a lot of blood in there. It's very tender, despite all the blood. Uh, and then Dream leaves. Delirium talks with Despair for a little while. Mm-hmm. Updates her. Despair updates Desire. And you get a little scene here where Desire again, like Desire, isn't sure how they feel about. What's happened to Orpheus? Yeah, they're like, listen, what I, I wanted Morpheus to spill family blood for reasons that I will not go into. And finally, he has done it. Yep. But the way it went down, I feel a little bad about. Yep. That's the big, like, what will happen next is now that he has he has broken the one rule of the Endless mm-hmm. by shedding mm-hmm. Endless blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get this little scene where Orpheus is going around being nice to all his people because yeah. he's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> And he's just nice to everybody, but then he's gonna go take a nap. He's uh, nice to the the three like doorway guardians. Yeah, he's just like, you three have served me well in the past, as you shall serve me well in the future. Have er, have I ever told you how much I appreciate your service that I value all most highly? And then after Morpheus leaves the room, one of them is like, "Is he all right? <laughs> is he? <laughs> this is weird. I don't know how to feel about this praise." Um, the, there's some really lovely, uh, we get a reminder. And I think, was this in the Orpheus story, Andrew, these words from Morpheus about, um, grief and like, you should attend the funeral. You should, you know, bid the dead farewell. And I don't remember if this life. is, if this is a scene that we saw, I don't remember. Um, but this, this, these two pages here where he is looking in his little coffee cup pool or, or no, it's the pool of blood from his yeah, hands. Yeah, he has washed Orpheus's blood off of his hands into some water and the water has like resolved into a little vision of Orpheus yeah. when he was still alive. These two pages feel like, you know, if you're, you could refer to this text later if you're going through a tough time and you, and you need some, some good words like game and hit you with the good words mm-hmm. here. Yeah, the good Um, ones. At times, the fact of her absence will hit you like a blow to the chest and you will weep, but this will happen less and less as time goes on. She is dead. You are alive, so live. And he is maybe telling that to himself as much as he used to tell it to his son. uh, Gaiman's got that in him as well as he is troubled by delusory insects, (laughs) which I think is what the 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 linchpin of this this (laughs) entire series. Um, Then we got a few like snippets of other characters. The Yeah, many of the characters who we've met throughout the course of Dream and Delirium's road trip, just kind of a animal house style. Mm -hmm. Like what what, what what happened to this guy? And it closes (laughs) on the... uh, the Greek guys burying Orpheus's head and the oldest guy, Andros knows that he is going to die and that he, he is at peace with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the book. Yeah, that's it. People Brief are, lives. people are aware of change and maybe embracing it. Mm-hmm. People who maybe did not want to in the past. I don't know if we're going to ever go see destruction again. Who knows? Who can say? 
I do like the way he just kind of disappears into like a little. He just kind of walks in into st- space. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. Mm-hmm. He's a fun guy. Again, I, the we talked about this early on about how much delirium and dream you could you could really like let a whole collection stand on. I think mm-hmm. in our conversation and just talking even about destruction, like nobody overstays their welcome. That is like the key to what makes these books work. I think. Mm-hmm. He, he yeah, has and these really interesting characters, and he, uh, none of them have been overexposed. And the the thing with destruction specifically is like the many of the endless embody their the thing that they are in charge of to the mm. point where it is also part of their personality. And destruction, you'd think he would be this big scary like destiny is. Uh, like a just a guy walking around in a robe. He looks like a like a D and D, like some art from what, a D and D player's guide of what and, the dungeon master looks like. Yes, yes, exactly. Just like a big book covered in chain. And destruction is instead of being like a big scary, destructy guy, is just like this very like easy to talk to like garrulous garrulous yes garrulous uh burly dude who just seems like a fun time i was getting big like just wants to make his bad poems and hang out (laughs) yes what if an hd like an hg tv show like celebrity got a tv and it's like all about how charming he is because he likes to repair homes Mm -hmm. like there's something about him in his open shirt and his like not quite blue jeans yeah (laughs) just working on projects around the house every time we see him dressed up as destruction he either looks like a like a viking or like an american gladiator he just looks he's he's he dresses the part and then when you see him with his beard shaved off and in his like civvies yeah (laughs) his like casual clothes and and very very, and he's the only endless that we don't i guess so far have never and maybe never see their actual realm right like he is just on a, a a nice peaceful island He's Never. also I I closed my tab, but he's also uh, we don't he doesn't have like his own little speech bubble thing either. Right? He doesn't know. He just is like a dude. Yeah, I think death is just a person, and he is just a person. Mm. Like dream, dream, delirium, desire, despair. I think destiny to all have either either something about the typeface is different, or something about like the shape of the speech bubble is different. I don't think destruction. No, destruction is is like pre, is very straightforward comic bubbles, and I'm just checking death real quick. I think death is similar. Yeah, um, you can't find destiny off the top of my head, but yeah, because death death's whole thing is just like I'm I'm a spunky, cute goth chick who is going to walk you into the afterlife. <laughs> No, I guess uh, D- Destiny just talks in like intense italics all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which is a thing. Which, <laughs> which is a very dungeon master thing. So yeah, It'll count as a thing. Yeah. Um, so this is, a, this is a great one. This is up there. I you know I think I am partial to the ones that have their own beginning, middle, and end to them. Yeah. Because it it gives you something really to go on. Yeah, we only have one more, I think, of the sort of one-offy books sure. between now and the end. But I think everything from here on out is pretty much a bagger. Yeah, cool. Not that, I mean, there, there are lots of the fables and reflections that are bangers, but... Yeah. I think this one is pretty good, like, front to back. And it is, this one works 
extra well because of where it's placed in the arc of the series. You couldn't mm-hmm. do this earlier and have it hit as hard, I think. No, without as much of a sense of the characters or... Well, and it's finally, like, kind of giving you extra... Finally, destruction is here, yeah. And then just extra, like, endless stuff. Like, give Mm -hmm. me, you know, that's been so drips and drabby, and it's it's good because it was drip and drabby earlier, and now it's not. So, Um, Yeah, that's this one. Next time, we'll be talking about World's End, book eight. I have literally no idea what's in that book. I'm looking at it right now. I can see the spot World's End, maybe. That's a Pirates movie, isn't it? At World's End, Stranger Tides, Stranger Things, Chest. I think I think this one is one-offs, but I also think it's the shortest one that we've read it looks, in a while. Yeah, I don't think it's short, as yeah. nearly as many issues as some of these other ones are going to be. Right. Well, that'll be next time. Um, yeah. Get us out of here, Andrew. You know what they say at the end of every episode of Sand by Me. If it sucks, hit the bricks. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of an episode, the next, <laughs> the newest, the latest, greatest episode of Sands yes. by me, a podcast about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman presented to you, the listener, by the boys at Overdue. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And Overdue is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read, and we've been meaning to read The Sandman for some time now. Yeah, and now we're doing it. And we're, we're doing it. Pretty- Pretty close to the end. Getting pretty close to the end. I thought they were endless, though. Well, they they the characters continue on, but this set of stories about them does have an end. Hmm. And mm-hmm. we did learn in the last episode, brief lives, that everything has a lifespan, even the endless. Yeah. And we've talked about what despair had died, which does come up in this collection. Yes. Delirium has like changed existence yeah. form mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. apparently destruction could just walk off the job yeah he's just gone stuff just keeps on getting destroyed it you seems, know things seem like they go so bad every time that dream stops doing his job yeah that <laughs> that it's surprising that one of them can just can just go off but i guess we're probably better at destroying things just like in and of ourselves than that was his, just like dreaming stuff. That was his whole point, right? Was that yeah. he's like they're gonna they yeah, figured it out without keep me. Doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what would happen if Destiny just like put down his book. <laughs> I think everything would. It seems like everything would stop. Everything. Though, I mean, though, is his book there because of him, or is it just there and he has? It's. It's, <laughs> it's a good point. To, it's hard to know. Someone's got to hold I think the that's book. The, the point of him, but he. We don't really get a lot of. Um, insight into destiny's like thought process so i I don't think that he has any kind of ennui about his job you think he has a child uh yeah he's got at least what three of them yeah well Mm -hmm. yeah i mean they broke up but there's still three of them yeah yeah Yeah. they're still his children (laughs) that's the name of the group right yes destiny's children i love them Mm -hmm. so this is our bespoke podcast about this series as Andrew said, we're nearing the end here. We are literally at World's End, which is the yes. name of this episode, this is collection. Collection 8 of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, the issues, I kind of already talked about what we, what we learned last time. Last time was a road trip of Delirium and Dream trying to find destruction. They find out why destruction went away. 
and then Dream, uh, based on his kind of changes of heart throughout the journey, uh, takes mercy on his wayward son, Orpheus, and kills him for real. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, as we have heard in previous editions, is like that's a that's a no no. Yeah, you're not supposed to like spill your family's blood in this in this mythology. No one's Bad. ever told us the consequences, but I bet no. we might find out. But there are a lot of other mythologies where spilling your the blood of your family is like either the point or is like super. Inc- <laughs> it's just like happens all the time with no uh, consequence. Yeah, so, like the yeah. Sopranos. Yeah, like the Sopranos or like Christianity or you know the the two the, mythologies, the big ones. The big ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is my Soprano Christian values. <laughs> uh, these issues, um, like what there are six of them, five or six of them. Yeah, fifty-one to fifty-six, I believe, okay. is the is the they issue. were or... all released in 1993 and then they were collected and published together in 1994 um you know obviously all written by Gaiman the penciler for there's a wraparound story so this is like the big change from the other collections right Andrew the yeah. other so in, in a lot of ways in, and we'll in, in the ways that we'll talk about it, it's a lot like you know you got your fables and your reflections from mm-hmm. from a couple books ago, and you got Dream Country, right? Yeah, in in so far as they're sort of individual things that are doing their own stuff. Yeah, um, and we're gonna jump around a lot between characters and subject matter and like artistic style, but yeah, this one has a wraparound like frame narrative, and the frame narrative is all consistently drawn by the same. Brian People, Talbot. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then each individual story within a story is drawn by somebody else. Yes. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I have notes on each of those. I want to shout them out as we go. Um, but yeah, that's that was different. I think the thing that we were responding to with Fables and Reflections is that they were collected not in the order they were written. And there was a lot of like... I don't know. There's some stuff Gaiman made, and it's neat. And so, and some of them were fla- fables, some of them were reflections. <laughs> yes, this feels way more intentional, but also feels like I was reading some some article about this. I don't remember where. I wish I could remember where they mm-hmm. were. Like Gaiman didn't really like. He's never done another totemic comics work, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's. I think he's done some runs on characters and he's dabbled but like this is his comics baby Mm -hmm. and that's comics baby and that's comics baby this this one kind of feels like hey i got these other ideas for what stories could be like Mm -hmm. i've like he knows he's coming to the end and he's not gonna get to experiment as much as he draws this thing to a close, or he has very specific experiments in mind. And this feels like an excuse to be like, I don't know, what if we did this and that and this? Yeah, because I mean, there is nothing that gets Neil Gaiman out of bed like a bunch of people sitting around and telling stories to he each other. He loves it. He loves it, especially if those stories could be about people telling each other other stories. Yes, like in another group setting, even better. It's very Canterbury Tales. If you just do a do a one thousand one nights thing all the way yep. down. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Nesting um, story, nesting dolls. So, what's the what's the setup? Give me the frame narrative. Put it in a box for me, Andrew. Setup is this this 
dude, this nobody dude, Brant, he's just, uh, he, Brant, he's just some white guy, yeah, driving a car. That's kind of his. That's kind of the point of him is that he is kind of he's nothing. Just some guy, yeah. Um, it's it's late at night. He's in um the car with his coworker Charlene. Yep. Uh, they're driving, I think, to Chicago. Yes. Um, for various reasons, like she's gonna see her family. He's gonna do a job interview, and they just like they didn't want to spend the money on a plane, so they're driving. Yeah. Uh, she's asleep. He's up driving. It's three forty in the morning. Says the clock on the dash. If it's right, you know, you never know with these things. Uh, it's the month is June, which yes. is important because suddenly it starts snowing. Very weird. What? It's very strange. Why is it snowing in June, and he's like, "Man, this is weird." And then a big scary goat horse jumps out in front of the car, and he drives it off the road. They crash. Um, they're both alive, but um, Charlene is hurt, and so he stumbles out into this snowstorm with her, and they stumble upon this this inn. The world, the world's end, is a free house. A free is house the name of, is the name of the inn, and they stumble in. They get medical attention, and then they all are just sitting around with all these weirdos. Well, it's like a centaur here. Yeah, it's Chiron. <laughs> it's a the- supernatural. <laughs> The centaur from Greek mythology featured heavily in The centaur from the, the Percy, Percy Jackson, Jackson books. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. actually where he's from. Sorry. Yeah. My mistake. Um, but yeah, there's clearly elves and goblins and leprechauns and pirates. And, like, cat- and like cowboys. And undead people. And because we're readers who are eight volumes yeah. deep on all the collected editions of the Sandman. We're like, well, of course there's there are cat boys here in this inn. <laughs> That's whatever. We no are not deal. as surprised as Brant and Charlene are to discover mm-hmm. all the people here. Mm-hmm. But they're all nice. Yeah, they all seem all right. Uh and they're all just kind of sitting in there chattering. Um it it comes to like gradually over the course of the of the issues, but we can just talk about like yeah, the, sure. the frame as a whole. Like everybody's here because they have been driven sort of out of their own realities and times by a big storm, like a reality storm. Somebody says that in this first passage where they say it, nobody explains it, but somebody just goes, it's a reality storm. And then they kind uh-huh. of move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that's where there's like a few of these scattered across existence mm-hmm. where you might find I think yourself. it says there's like four, there's like four cool inns. It's like the <laughs> railroads on Monopoly. There's yeah. just like four of them. Hey, and you stumble into honestly. <laughs> stumble into when I'm experiencing a reality storm in a game of Monopoly, I love to find shelter at a railroad. It's like I'm I not going to pay rent. Yeah, usually, it, if you're pay, playing Monopoly, you're more likely to to be suffering through a realty storm. But that's uh, neither here nor there. So, they, <laughs> are you your mic's picking up? Your mic's picking up some breathing or something? Yeah, I just had to exhale really. One. Yeah, this first edition uh, is called Tale of Two Cities. We haven't talked about that. This yeah, first it's called volume. Tale of Two Cities. Um, so yeah, they're they're all sitting. It seems like everybody's got nothing but time on their hands. It gets very like timey wimey in here, and like nobody knows yep. how long they've been in here. It feels like a not very long at all. It feels like forever. Um, but we, you know, because we see all the different kinds of people sitting around. Because a couple of people mention being from different years. It's clear that this is like there's that that one from a couple of books back where like Fiddler's Green and Marco Polo were all like oh, sitting yes. around the fire. That's and a fable out. and a reflection, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was a fable or a reflection. I'm not. I don't remember which. 
<laughs> but um, it's it's one of the, the soft places. I think was was what that oh, was called. It's yeah. clear that this is sort of a similar um, thing, like a, a sort of malleable place and time that exists between all the timelines and realities where people can just like hang out sometimes. And the vibe at, at the end of this intro section is that Brant and Charlene have recovered from their injuries. Charlene has taken to this place very quickly. She's sidled up to a group of storytellers. Brant is like, what is happening, Charlene? Like, he is, mm-hmm. like, trying to stay connected to her because she's the only reason they're there. And Charlene's like, I love this place. She's like, you just missed a cool story about a dude who won n- November 1937 in a poker game. Like, that Yeah, just whatever that means, Gaiman. <laughs> um, and then this guy's like, hey, I'll tell a story called Mis- Mr. Gamorous is going to tell a story called A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah, this is called Tale of Two Cities. I don't know if there's another book that's called this or not, but I'm just this is the name I picked for my story. It's, it's, yeah, it's probably the only thing ever called that. He does um, says I call this tale in deference to another long another rather longer story, A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> okay. So he even knows about the the IP theft that he's so that he's doing. But Charles Dickens isn't in this inn as far as we know, and so he just goes for it. I think this is my like second favorite of mm-hmm. all of them okay i think mostly because of the style of it so it's yeah explain it explain it to me the artist is alex stevens and i don't he did other stuff um i'm sure on his resume but i mean all of us have done lots, lots of things <laughs> sure um but his the his style i i've read that this is like similar to other work he's done but like the writing and the art never overlap the the text is more like prose narrative kind of floating in between panels rather yeah, than yeah you don't you don't get no speech bubbles or no nothing. speech bubbles um no kind of arrangement of text in space within the image but it is defining space around the image and the art style is pretty, and I don't mean this pejoratively, it's like flat. Like there's not a lot of shading. Everything is either a color or it's not. And all yeah. the shapes are very geometric, but kind of tilty and strange. And not like no, the the shapes are geometric, but the lines aren't like very clean yeah. most of the time. Yes. Like it's it's very bendy. Yes. Um, and so you get these awesome like it's all you know this guy wandering around in the city that he lives in and he has this job that's you know kind of uh i don't like a cognitive office job i guess classic 90s you know you work in a computer machine you're an ant in a whatever i don't know you're not a human mr anderson you're just a part of a machine sort of thing yes sure um (laughs) whatever that means and he Uh but he does on his like lunch break likes to like walk around the city and enjoy the the landscape so you get these really cool this art style actually really sings with the cityscapes little kind of lit up window kind Mm -hmm. of stuff yeah and then he finds like a like a glowing part of the city yeah like you do and he goes to it because why mm-hmm. not? And then he starts seeing like it's the same city, but not really. Yeah, he keeps seeing like snippets of things that he thinks seem familiar, but it's it's all super different. He gets on a subway train 
and Morpheus is there. I mean, he doesn't know who Morpheus is, but he's just there on the train, <laughs> just dro- riding your, your around. Your Matrix thing earlier made me think about, think you were referencing Lawrence Fishburne. And, and <laughs> no, Sorry, Lawrence no. Fishburne is not there. It's it's Morpheus the Dream Lord from the, the book The Sandman. The Lord of Stories, yes. Mm-hmm. Prince of Stories, excuse me. Um, and yeah, then he like finds himself in what he learns from another guy on a bridge, a guy with a big long beard who looks very frightened and upset is that this is the dream of the city. Yeah. The city's dreaming. The city is dreaming. You know, if if we had cities that slept here in America and they don't usually really (laughs) No, if they did sleep, then they would dream. (laughs) I'm kind of glad that this story does not engage with that idiom at all. Because mm-hmm. if it did, it would really be hacky. Like I wouldn't. I don't think you could really like spin that out. It's very. You don't funny. even want. You don't even want somebody to make like a joke about how New York doesn't exist in the dream world because it never sleeps. No, I don't. I'm not in this story. You can make that joke. It'll make me laugh. But I don't want Damon to it do did. it. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> Now I'm going to be thinking about that forever. Great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of like it, it's kind of like the. Um, uh, it reminds me of Inception, the end of Inception, when he's like stuck in that. Get the kick. Yeah, when he goes down and Marion Cotillard is in that big, empty, sad city that she built in the bottom of the dream that she's in. It, it feels like that. It feels a little, you know, strange in there. Mm-hmm. Uh. But this big, this whole guy got he has a big fear, Andrew, and it's not that city's dream. Yeah, he doesn't want it to wake up. What would that mean? What would it? Yeah, what would it mean for him who's like in the city's dream? What would it mean for the world to have this slumbering city suddenly awake, roused itself? Yeah, he's he's got he's got concerns, and you could tell from his face that he's he's got some anxiety. This old guy, <laughs> he really does. Um, but then they get, they get to leave. They see a lady who looks like, uh, death. She is not. If you read this issue and think that this is supposed to be death, that is not the case. Yeah. Uh, Gaiman's had to like one, I guess one, um, bad thing about using sort of a, not, not like generic punky goth girl, but like but the concept of punky goth. girl. Yes. Then suddenly you have all these other punky goth girls wandering around that you need to make sure everybody <laughs> knows aren't death. <laughs> well, and especially when you are doing a series where there are different artists all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is this this person's rendition? No, it's just this person kind of referencing another character from their other books. So sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. But he encounters her, and it kind of seems like maybe... I don't know what her deal is. Is she the city? Does she have a deal? I don't know. She's just kind of... She kind of freaks him out, and he runs away. Like, I don't... <laughs> that's her deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he comes back into reality, but he's been there for months. He's got a beard and raggedy clothes. And then it kind of cuts to him meeting the guy who was telling the story where uh he is like uh I live in the middle of nowhere now and he's scared of of cities as a concept as living things cuz what if they wake up yeah it's what cool i like up? it 
all these other cities, except for New York, which has which never went to sleep in the first place. But what if every city became like New York? Oh, we could that. Okay, so if you engage with it that way, I'm on board. <laughs> what you if M and M store in every city? Well, every city's like New York. Just what it? Just the the cosmic implications of every city being cities that never sleep. Eee. It would be like either. I, I can't imagine everybody in New York looking around and suddenly realizing that New York is not the only city in the entire oh, no. planet. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and But I also don't want to countenance the idea that everybody who lives in any city would suddenly start thinking and talking about their cities like people who are in New York talk about being in New York. Mm. <laughs> so it's just maybe that's why everybody's so scared. <laughs> I just what I like what I like about this story alone aside from the art which I think is rad as heck the art is great um not to not to work blue on this podcast but it is rad as, rad heck. as heck yeah um it's got this kind of Lovecraftian like oh the horror the horror of like a thing that's kind of a fuzzy concept but this guy's really freaked out about it yeah, I believe Gaiman's on the record as saying this is sort of a Lovecraft-inspired story, and he says you can tell because he uses the word cyclopean in yeah. it. Yeah, good job, dude. Good job, Neil. You just got to get Stygian in there somewhere, and we'd really be talking about Lovecraft. Non-Euclidean mm-hmm. dream stories. But also, I like, it reminds me of the, ooh, was this in, I don't remember which collection the cat dream was in. It was one of the early ones. Was that Dream Country? Maybe, I'm not sure. Um, but the it I know it was like it was adapted for the first season of the TV show. Okay, so it's, okay. it's it might have been early in the yeah. It's it feels like Gaiman being like, well, I've built this whole dreaming concept, and I've kind of purposefully let it be a little slippery so that I can do whatever I want with it, and we can just for a few minutes entertain the notion. That like systems could have like that we feel like they're alive could have their own dreams and then like it's too too hard and scary to think about and then the story's over. Mm -hmm. I just think that's it's neat. It's you know it's the thing he can do in in a one shot. Uh, It's the kind of thing that leaves you guessing also about like the amount of power that Morpheus and the dreams have. He's there. He, the way he like moves into people's dreams and like will save them from scrapes in other stories in this collection because he talked to them through the dreaming. Like, is he just like talking to Cincinnati sometimes? And like, he's just hanging out with Cincinnati. I mean, probably not Cincinnati. You know, hanging out in Bangkok or going to Beirut. Like, he could go to any city, all the cities. Yeah. Yeah, there are probably cities on other planets that we don't know how, about. How big does a city have to be to have a personality that you can go talk to it about? Yeah, do know. towns have dreams? Yeah, like municipalities. Huh. Counties. Oh, well, this it goes all the way up, doesn't it? <laughs> dreams all the way up. If you um, go to the that place where the five states all meet. Is that does that have its own personality or is it just all five separate states? <laughs> just screaming in the dream together. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a lot of questions here. I like it. Um, okay, the next tale, Andrew. Tell me about the next tale. This is Clurican's tale. 
So Clerican is, uh, we met him back in the issue where Morpheus had the key to hell and Seasons he was entertaining of, all these. Season of Mists. Yeah, all these envoys from all these different places. Clerican was the guy who came there from Fairy, the, the realm. Yeah, with his Fairy. sister Nuala. Yes, yeah. who we've seen on and off. She's the fairy who he kind of dumps there and she yeah. can't wear her like glamour thing anymore. So she's kind of kind of a mousy little lady who pops in and out of the story sometimes. Yes. Um, one, one of the, the denizens of the dreaming who we get to know a little bit like the pumpkin guy and <laughs> Fiddler's Green and all the sure. and uh, Cain and Abel and all the greats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, the, yeah, there's a little bit of a rapper here where um, Brant goes to pee and he's talking to a guy who's like dressed like The Undertaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. And it's just, you know, you just get a little bit more of uh, a little bit more color about what the place is and how everybody's from all these different places and whatever. So they go back to the table. Clerican's there. He's talking and he is talking about it. He's like getting that drunk, right? He's getting he's getting really drunk. And it's I. He is, I think, one of the people who is like familiar with this phenomenon, or has like lived through it mm. before, or is, I, I don't remember. It if sounds he exactly familiar. Yeah, has I know there are a couple of characters who mentioned that you know this happened one other time, this reality storm thing. Yes, yes. I think I think Clerican is one of them. But anyway, he's just there. He's just there to party and hang out. He tells a story about a mission he went on for the Queen of Fairy. Yeah, where he went to this. Uh, went to this realm that uh, the city is called Aurelian, I think. Yes, Aurelian. It looks Kinda very looks like, Roman. Yeah, it looks very like antiquity, classical. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's there to deal with this, like, he's there to solve like a dispute, right? Between these two uh, rulers. But it turns out that one guy has like taken up the mantle of both like offices. Yeah, it's like there's supposed to be a, a pope for your spirit and a pope for your body. Uh-huh. And right, exactly. One guy was like, why not both? <laughs> mm-hmm. And either like killed or otherwise disposed of the the other guy. And he's just kind of, you know, being a decadent monarch now. Yeah, just kind of a decadent jerk with a big comb over and some pimples and he's eating a bunch of turkey legs all the time. <laughs> this this art didn't like this is John Watkiss as the as the main artist. It didn't like stand out to me. It wasn't bad or anything. It no, just, it's just it's just kind of fine. This whole story, I think, is just kind of fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. All the fairy stuff and like Clerican in particular, I'd, I'd find to be one of the less like we did that one about um, the Shakespeare play that they put on yeah. for all the people from Fairy too. Like it's just I find it to be one of the less like. The, the more underdeveloped areas of the mythology. The part of that story I liked, and the part of this story I liked the most, is like actually when Morpheus shows up. Like yeah. this, these are those are two examples of stories that are most interesting for the 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 few moments where they intersect with our main character. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like the strength of these collections is usually that, like I don't know, Morpheus is like somewhere, but we got this cool thing happening. Mm-hmm. He makes so the guy Cler- mad, right? He, yeah, Clerican like, is there. He makes the guy mad by sort of like challenging his, um, what? Uh, both Psychopomp and Carifex, you've gained great heights through death and lies, but now the dead begin to rise and death's forgotten time collects. 
Uh, the dogs will chew your carcass yet amidst your bones. The rats will romp and even history shall forget you. Carnifex and Psychopomp. And that's after like, so he's like a page of him being like, sometimes I just kind of got to say something. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> I tell, help I it. And so Pimply McCombover, yep. uh, Carnifex Psychopomp guy is like, throw him, in, throw him in prison. He's a fairy. So if you clap him in cold iron and make the door also be cold iron, he won't be able to get out. <laughs> and uh, th- at this point, um, his uh, Nuala shows up. He falls asleep. Yeah. He falls asleep. And yeah, he sees Nuala there. Um, and she goes to get Morpheus. I think that chronologically, I think this is after she's been left in the in the dreaming. This is the one of all of them that is the most explicitly like contemporaneous to other events. Yeah, I think there, there's one later with destruction where I think it's like post destruction walking off the job. But, but he did that like 300 years. Yeah, ago, and so it's it, not. Yeah. It's pre uh brief lives when destruction does whatever he does in that episode but yes. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah this feels like it's it's part of the linear progression of morpheus through this yeah, whole thing morpheus seems like he has some kind of relationship with or affection for nuala so it mm-hmm. implies she's been in the dreaming for a bit uh so nuala is like hey morpheus my brother is kind of a jerk but he is trapped and can you help him and so morpheus goes and does it yeah Let's him out. Doesn't, doesn't. Let's him out of the cold iron. Opens the door, and then Clerican goes up and like kicks everybody's butt. He says, and the, he's, like, and the and the dead like Carnifex comes back to life and throws the usurper out a window. Yeah, <laughs> which is probably the coolest part. The things that we don't see that are Clerican says he like stirred up a riot of some kind by, and he like is using like disguise powers and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then on his way out after the zombie king kicks the guy out a window, he's like, and then I got in a big sword fight. And then when the story's over, he's like, I may have, I may have embellished the sword fight, added the sword fight. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I, again, the, the coolest part about it for me is just tracking Morpheus. Tracking Morpheus is good, and I also think the of of the art, the frame in it that works the best for me is when the old zombie Carnifex and the new usurper guy like they jump out of a stained glass window. Yeah, <laughs> I just put it in the Slack so you could see see which one I'm talking. Oh about. no, I know. <laughs> yep, it he does like okay, yeah, it's pretty good. It's good. That that one's good. Yeah. Um. And then the story's over. And Clerican's like, yeah, I probably didn't make any of that up. Yep. Who wants to tell a story next? Yeah. Stop asking me all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> stop asking me when I'm going to go visit my sister who I abandoned in the dream realm. Like, just stop stop asking me all this stuff. So then we get a, an issue that is very cheekily named, Andrew, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hobbes Leviathan. Get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. What's the joke? Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, wrote the Leviathan. Oh, that's funny. You know, like the the guy who Hobbes and Locke, the guy who's based on Calvin and Hobbes. Yes. Yeah. Um. So this issue is drawn by Michael Zuli. Um. Is told by Jim. Yeah, Jim, who's just like a cool, normal sailor boy. Yeah. Just totally. like a, car- a normal carrot top looking sailor boy. Yeah. 
who definitely doesn't look like they are trying to hide anything. Yeah, no, just a sailor boy. Uh, so Jim tells a tells a story about how they were raised by their mother, who was like a widow. Uh, doesn't ask a lot of questions about uh, Jim's dad because Jim's dad's not really there. Yep. Um, and uh, he sneaks out as a thirteen year as a thirteen year old, I think, like a, something like that. Yeah, yeah, a, an adolescent, and sneaks aboard, starts sneaking aboard sailing ships, and just serving a, aboard them. Yes. Um, th- does a couple of not so great assignments and then ends up on this ship called uh, the Sea Witch. <laughs> yeah, sure. Carrying tea and cotton from Bombay to Liverpool. Bombay to uh, Liverpool. This, yeah, uh, Jim says that he is from, I think, 1913. So we're talking like early in the steamship era, but not so far along that that would have replaced every single ship that had existed mm-hmm. yet, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And one day they're parked at India, I think, and this gentleman comes aboard and the captain doesn't seem to like, it doesn't seem nuts about taking him on board because it's just like not a passenger ship, but he's going to do it anyway. Yeah. For reasons. For reasons that aren't really explained. Yeah. Uh, What's the deal with this passenger? Can you tell me anything about him? You might recognize his cool little beard, his general affable demeanor. His interest in people, mm-hmm. but his kind of, I don't know, it'll work out, energy. It's our old friend, Hob Gadling. Yeah. The dream, dream our friend. literal Morpheus old friend, friend Hob Gadling. Yeah. <laughs> Morpheus' is only cool pal who meets Dream every 100 years in a bar and they just like chat and hang out. So and sometimes this... Joanna Constantine is there. <laughs> so this would be probably 20 or 30 years after. One of his his most recent visits. If it's 1913, he, yeah, I think the visits are happening in like the, the 80s, 80s somewhere yeah, in each yeah. in each comic. So yeah, we're talking like 30 years or so after the last time they would have met, 70 years before the next time. And Hob and Jim like kind of strike up a friendship. Like Jim shows Hob around the boat, introduces them to people. Talks about all the guys, like the there was what, a tall Norwegian and a tall Swede who hate each other. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's uh, there was a German from Hamburg, a taciturn cove who would, when rummed up, tell us how the Kaiser would soon put us all in our places. <laughs> Which <laughs> just sounds like a great, cool dude to hang out with. <laughs> um, another guy, his name was Campbell, but the skipper used to call him Donkey Man because of the days when a donkey would walk a treadmill in the hold, fulfilling the function his engines did now. Hmm. All right, donkey man. Donkey man. Donkey man. Um, and then uh, a guy, uh, the best sailor in the ship, he was a second mate, and the general opinion on the sea witch was that he would have been a captain if only he were white. Yeah. Just a little bit of racism in there. It was 1913. Yep. And uh, Gadling has brought another passenger aboard. There's a stowaway. Hasn't, think... He hasn't brought another passenger on board but he is like takes responsibility for him after sure. he's found sure 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 um and this uh indian guy is it's strongly it's imp- it, he is the king from the story he tells right yeah i think so so now we get a, a, another nested story mm-hmm. that he tells about an indian king who had a magic fruit 
uh, and he gave it to his wife. It's a it's a magic fruit that's supposed to make you immortal that he yes, gets from some important. old old guy, and he gives it to his wife because he wants his wife to be immortal. But his wife is having an affair because all women are just unfaithful. Yeah, Duh, didn't you know that? Didn't you read Thousand One Nights? <laughs> his his wife gives it to the guy she's having an affair with, who's like a captain of the guard. Captain of the guard gives it to a fancy courtesan who yep. he who he wants to live forever. And I believe the courtesan gives it back to the king because he's the king and yeah. she just wants to like do something nice for the king. And the king's like, hey, cool, uh, cool immor- immortality, Apple. Can you tell me anything about where you got it? I think she was smart enough to be like, I don't know, this jerkwag gave me an immortality apple, and I don't know if that's a real thing, but if it is, it's probably worth something. I can give it to the king. The line is like, she was very beautiful, but she was uncertain enough of the fruit and of its providence and desirous enough of earthly reward to hie herself to the palace. She offered the fruit to the... Like, this lady has a good head on her shoulders. Uh, He took it from her, and once she had told him how she had obtained it, ordered her to be rewarded. Then he had the queen and her lover brought to him and had them both killed without torture, though, for he had loved her more than... Oh, well, he's a reasonable guy. (laughs) Girl, I love you so much that when I have you executed for cheating on me, I will not have you tortured first. Yep. And that's what love is to me. You thought love was never having to say you're sorry, but love is... Love is never having to tell your guards to waterboard somebody, (laughs) I guess. Um, And then he he eats the fruit himself and he just walks off the job. And he's probably that guy on the boat. He's probably that guy on the boat. You know, probably. The big thing of this whole story is like, sometimes you keep a secret. Sometimes Sometimes you don't tell a story sometimes you keep a secret about like you know what your gender is sometimes you keep a secret about you saw a big sea, the sea monster yeah <laughs> you know secrets People they go in, secrets they go into like a in a big storm there's a bunch of fish uh and then they see a giant it's not a kraken it's just a big sea serpent. It's like a hydra or a serpent or something. It's, it's, a, a, I mean, it's, a, it's a leviathan. Oh, it's a, it is a leviathan. If you want to go from the name yes. of the, Excuse me. the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, yo, wow, that was wild. And Jim's running around being like, why does not tell everybody, right? <laughs> we got to tell people about this. It's out there. And Hobgadling's like, I don't know. I mean, you could tell people. I don't know if are anybody you, else is going to want to talk about it. Yeah. Um. And kind of says like there's secrets in the ocean. There's it's a big place. It's deep. There's secrets down there. Mm-hmm. And it ends with uh, Gadling. Nobody's seen nobody's seen a giant squid that I know of. We just suppose there have to be some because they've seen the huge sucker marks on the sides of whales. Big place. Lots of secrets down there. He says. <laughs> I like Hob Gadling. He's a cool yeah. Hob Gadling's good. And except for how he traded slaves, but he seems pretty sorry about that. Yeah. It, well, gosh. Man. Yeah, see, that's pretty. That's the thing you always got to come back to about Hobgadling is real founding does, father he, syndrome. Huh? He does. He does feel bad. But he does feel bad about it. I guess we have to leave people room to like grow and whatever. When you're immortal, I suppose. But come on, there were probably yeah. immortal people who didn't own slaves. So yeah, probably. Were well, we gonna cancel him just because he? Listen, that's, I've... that's the thing about judging somebody as like being like. Of their time is like if you are never, if you are always of the current time, it seems like 
it's worse that you traded slaves. <laughs> it is because then you're doing it a la mode. Like you're like, ooh, everybody's doing it. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, Hob. You're canceled. I take back every nice thing I ever I said about canceled. you. But no, he seems like he feels bad about the whole slave trading. Um, and he does let Jim know that he can tell that Jim is hiding who she is. Um, but it's clear that he's never going to tell anyone about it. And he has his own secrets to keep. And that's it. Including that he owns the Sea Witch. Well, he does, yes. Um, but it's it's clear that this is... We, we, we got a little bit of... Um, we got some hints from Hob Gatling in the earlier book that we met him in, just like the ways that he swings from identity to identity, basically just pretending to be his own relatives forever yeah. until, you know, so he never gets found out. And this, the sea witch belongs to him, but it's like him as some uncle that he's going to like <laughs> pretend to like totally divest himself from. Like he's going to sell this boat and he, he seems like he'd sees the, steam era coming you know he, he mm-hmm. knows that a, a big old like sailboat is not gonna hold its value forever he's been he's yep. been doing boat stuff for a while so he's gonna sell the boat and he's just gonna be you know his last tie to this old relative of his is gonna be cut and he's just gonna keep on living forever yep because he's decided and, that he's not gonna die well yeah he just did that's it he also decides that he doesn't like he decides that he's never going to drown, too. That's another thing. Yeah, he, what was that about? <laughs> he's, it's just, it's just, you can just say, yeah, I'm not going to die. And in the same way that you can do that, you can be like, yeah, I'm not going to drown. That's the biggest The biggest thing about not drowning is just like, don't do it. Is this one, like one of those things where like when you get into like a, a particular comic book fandom and you start running the numbers and you're like, wow, this minor character is actually the most powerful, like the most powerful character in the world. Yeah, Hub Gadling is... is his ambitions are not <laughs> great high. Well, not even it's great. It's just like, he's not, he doesn't want to yeah. run the whole world. He doesn't want to be immortal so he can be God emperor of the entire planet. He just wants to be, be immortal because there's so much life to live. And yeah, wouldn't it be great if you had the time to, to do it? Yeah. Well, and we've talked about what he did with some of that life, which, you know, canceled. We, you know, you're not, you can't win them all. Where was hop Gadling on January 6th? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> there's so much life to live yeah yeah where was he anyway the golden speaking of politics the golden boy the next issue you ever read a thing where you're like you know this the specificity of this yeah is such that i am sure that there's a reference that i'm not understanding that there is an unexplained referential quality to this issue that yes when i learned that it was based on a short-lived 1970s DC series. Yeah. So this is a, this is a story about this is just Brant and a guy like in a hallway doing a private story. It's not a big like round table nope. thing. Different guy upstairs. Uh, I have a story the, to tell. The guy asks him, "Who's president when you know, you're from America? Who's president?" And he's like, "Bill Clinton." And then he's like, "Well, who's president before that and he makes him go all the way back to jimmy carter and he's like oh so you're from one of the bad americas huh? <laughs> and he tells a story about this this kid prez rickard who is the kid who ran for president like in the book the kid who ran for president yeah and this apparently yeah there was this for four issues in the early 1970s not long after 18 year olds got the right to vote DC ran this four issue thing that just assumed that 
civic engagement among 18 year olds would be so overwhelmingly huge that they would also change the age for holding all major political office. Yeah. So like teenagers could do it. And then this kid, Prez Rickard, Prez being his given Christian name. Because his mother had a dream that he would become president or something. Uh, he gets elected to be president at age 18. Yeah. yeah. And there's like just all of it. Like it's, if you look at the the title page of the of the Prez comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is called Prez, first team president of the USA. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And his slogan is Prez says, cool it, man. You had your chance. <laughs> and Prez's whole outfit, like he just is giving me such like greatest American hero vibes with this whole thing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Prez yeah. Is like, Prez is kind of weird. Prez I don't weirdo. I don't know. I know nothing about the tone of those original Prez. Oh, Obviously, they're very—they seem pretty tongue-in-cheek. I know that it, whoever is doing the art for this Sandman issue is aping the Prez art. Yeah, pretty well to the even to the point where the like the motorcade that Prez is in when he gets elected to be president is filled with the same like village people looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. cast of hippies that is on this cover of this original press comic the original but anyway series... we've like you know it's it's like that one issue where batman showed up except this is a guy nobody's ever heard of. yeah we've had like <laughs> that's just for the the dc comics true believers we've had two or three of those which is always fun so the the original series was by joe simon jerry grandinetti the art for this is by malk M- M- malk it's not mike malk. alred malk. Malk, drink your milk. Um, Mike Alrick. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's Miak. Um, and <laughs> got you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this goes through the arc of kind of what you were saying is that like young people get the right to vote, and it's it's a very jarring like it, things are happening very quickly. <laughs> At the start of this, this is probably, I found this to be my, maybe my favorite. When I said the first one was my second favorite, I think this one might be my the favorite. The Prez one is your favorite one? Okay, that's interesting. I think it's just so wacky. It's, it is wacky. It is that. It's, uh, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna argue with you about the, the wackiness. Is your favorite <laughs> the Leviathan? Do you have a favorite? If I had to pick a favorite one, I mean, I like the I like the one about the the dead people city. Hmm. I like one of those stories a lot. Okay. I don't dislike it mm-hmm. overall, but I don't know. It's just a weird one. It's just weird. Press is so weird. Yeah, Boss this smiling. is a fever dream. It's all so weird. So on page one, there's a lady naming her baby <laughs> Prez. Mm-hmm. And then they're taking the allegiance, and he's like, "Oh, I knew I was going to be president." And then he's fixing clocks because he, he in his town, in the town of Steadfast, no two clocks agreed, and this little boy is fixing all the clocks because he's a clock genius. And then there's a bunch of newspaper clippings where it says, "Peace and love party takes California." First teen senator says, "Quote unquote, cool it," and they, <laughs> they start electing teens to everything. And then there's just a shot. That says the prince of that world was Boss Smiley, and there's a man, quote unquote, in a yellow suit with a big, 
what if a, the smiley face was real? You know those things where people are like, what if Mario's face was real flesh? What if Mario's face had real, real human skin on it? Yeah. And that's kind of some, what if you took the, the yellow smiley face, the yellow smiley face, and then that they invented for the Watchmen comic, ran it through, <laughs> ran it through mid journey AI and it became a flesh face. And that's, that's what boss you, smiley. That's boss smiley. And he I is just, this like, Prez's whole thing is it is such American politician nonsense because he's like, you know, I'm good at fixing clocks. I think I would be really good at fixing our America. Civic. Like I would be good at fixing our, our public. Yeah. Public life. Also, uh-huh. I'm going to run for president. <laughs> and so like Prez is like greeted by boss Smiley on the top of a cliff looking down on all of cities. One of many sort of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Metaphors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Boss Marley's like, hey, man, I'll make you the best president in history. You the just, last temptation of Prez up here. You just need to know that I'm the one who put you there. And Prez is like, cool it, Boss Smiley. I'll do it my own way. And Boss Smiley just smiled. And then mm-hmm. Dick Nixon breaks into his bedroom. Yeah, he's visited <laughs> by Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, being president kind of sucks. Yeah, you just, everybody hates you, and then you're not president anymore. The end. <laughs> like, yeah. And then when and then when another president comes along, they sometimes are like, "Yeah, you were so great. Mm-hmm. You were so great, but they didn't like you when you were president, so you don't get to we enjoy to, it." We had to get a lot of presidents down the line before people were like, "Man, we really had a good with old Dick Nixon." Oh my god, he made the he made the EPA like. <laughs> I still think about that. Did you read that book where like Dick where Nixon... Richard Nixon would like inhabit people? Yeah, yeah. or you know, it was like the the spirit of Uncle Sam would inhabit people. <laughs> like yes, had I sex with Dick Nixon. Oh my God, yes, I, yes, yes. <laughs> and then there, so there's he's like, and Prez is like, listen, if I'm the president, like I can make a difference. Like it's very ideal. It's idealism. He is idealism personified. I'm a young man. I am capable i fix all these watches i can fix america politicians should fix america every like prez is the the thing that's the most disarming about this nixon confrontation (laughs) i mean everything about it but also like prez's like pose is very like when he's in bed yeah like i wish you would have knocked before you came in here richard nixon because i was busy with (laughs) i was busy fixing like fixing a nation so to speak (laughs) God, I lo- uh, so pre- he becomes president and he solves all the problems, including all the ones that Jimmy Carter got wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, I, well, no, no malaise here, baby. We're gonna fix steg. We're gonna whip inflation now. We're gonna like solve the Middle East like, crisis. I love it we're gonna because, do it all. Like on on election day, <laughs> we're gonna convince. We're gonna convince <laughs> John Belushi to like clean up his act and live to a ripe yeah! old age. <laughs> So good. I love that it's like it's not just that he solved politics. He also like Did fixed I think culture. Or John Belushi. I don't remember which Belushi. John Belushi. It is. It's John Belushi. John Belushi yeah. is the one. Yeah. Um. But also, I love that like on his election day, like there's a baby born with the United States on its back. Yeah. There's like a bunch of people. Uh. Are like. There's like this whole like climactic sex scene. Everybody wins in Vegas. A bunch of people have their, 
you know, diseases cured and things like that. And he's like, I don't know, I'm president now. And he never looks too what is, how would you describe his face? Look at the one when he's in the car on the on the when he wins election day. This is the one that's the cover of yeah. the Prez comic. What is that face he's this making? Looks very, he looks determined, I guess. He's not. I love that he never looks like he's acting like a teen. He's He, yeah, he is, always looks very serious. He's very serious. Mm-hmm. He's going to get rid of the nukes. He's on TV advocating for isolationist foreign policy, but like it's good. <laughs> but a good version. Yeah, yeah. good version. Um he, uh, goes, he meets Boss Smiley again at a party, and he's yeah. like, no, screw you, Boss Smiley. I'm going to run for a second term. It's going to be great. And then Boss Smiley says, how can you be threatened by a man who doesn't exist? And he disappears in a cloud of smiley smoke. Once again, what the hell is Boss Smiley? <laughs> maybe in the, for his reelection speech, he says, maybe we've got the best system in the world, and maybe we haven't. But I'm delighted to have the honor of serving you all for another four years. I think I'm starting to get the hang of it. I love it. Man, Prez. And then he is uh, engaged. He's engaged to his high school sweetheart, but uh, somebody shoots her. In a hurts re- him. Kind of a reverse Hinkley situation. Like a, like a yeah, gender the old, swapped. The old reverse Hinkley situation. Like a gender swapped Hinkley sort of thing where this woman who's obsessed with um, a TV personality. uh like you know the the wild cat or something um shoots tries to kill him and and shoots his wife and he's the president but now his his girlfriend's dead or not she they didn't get married because they were only engaged mm-hmm. and he's then he's like you know he's sad he's not happy he's having a rough time he's still a good president he's still a pretty good president but his second term kind of peters out and then he leaves office and everything about him's kind of quickly forgotten. It's kind of like Barack Hussein Obama in that way. Is that <laughs> yeah. He did brush into office having changed very little <laughs> in the end. <laughs> Press changed a lot, it seems. Press changed a lot. It's just that America goes into decline after Prez stops being the president. And he kind of fades from public life and nobody knows what happened to him. Well, and Gaiman is kind of very clever in how he describes that, right? He's like... Things were no longer golden in America. It wasn't that things were bad. It was just that they weren't spectacularly good anymore. They say that the new president sent messengers to him asking if he would come out of retirement. Prez received them graciously and gave them coffee. And then when he dies, it's like the whole nation feels that he dies. But nobody but knows how nobody it happened. knows how. And then the endless show up. And then the endless are part of the story. This is one of my more favorite deaths. I don't know. I just like yeah. her her eye makeup in this one. She's, She's really got cool. like a tiny bit of like color to her skin. Uh-huh. Just a teeny tiny little bit. Yep. In a way that differentiates her from many of the other deaths that we've seen. Yeah, she's she looks rad. Um so it goes up to heaven. I guess God is like Boss Smiley. The the God in this world is Boss Smiley. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Are you God or the devil? And he's like, I'm just Boss Smiley. I run your world. And Prez does not want to go into Boss Smiley's heaven. No, he doesn't want to. Because it's basically Boss Smiley is just like the Federalist Society or something. He's just like the big <laughs> overarching, like nonpartisan boogeyman who runs the entire American system. I love that I think what I like about this one is that everything feels so like mythic 
but Gaiman does does not do any connective tissue to like make the allegories make sense. Like uh-huh. Boss Smiley isn't he's not Uncle Sam. Like he's, he's not, not anything. He's not God. He's just a well, but in this in in heaven, he does have the literal smiley face. Yeah. But um, he's just like he's dressed like Colonel Sanders. Yeah, like it's not... so weird. <laughs> and but and Prez is like, I don't want it. And you're like, I don't even know what it is. But then Morpheus shows up. And then Morpheus is like, what if you, Prez Rickard, could just like wander from America to America fixing them as you visit each successive reality? You're... And Prez is like, that sounds that sounds rad, you turkey. I'm g- <laughs> Everybody chill out. I'm going to go fix all the Americas. I do like the line when, you know, Boss Smiley tries to resist this and Morpheus is like, hey, you know, I'm the prince of stories. The The boy is under my jurisdiction. I kind of, I don't, when I first read it, I didn't really, I just didn't clock that at all. Then when I realized that Prez was a comic, I kind of think there's like a meta thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a story about Prez. Where you're like, you're, I'm the boss of you, Boss Smiley. You're just another guy in a story. Yeah, I kind of like that a lot. Um, and he let, he lets him. It's like, it's simultaneously that. And also, like, you know, when you're, when you're a public figurehead, like you're, You're, you don't control your thing. Yeah. Your story is a big component of what people find like interesting and compelling about you. And so, yeah, I can, I control you now. You're a story. You're a public figure. And then the the guy who is telling the story to Brant is like, oh, oh, Prez gives Morpheus his his dad's watch that he fixed. Um, mm-hmm. The guy who's telling the story to Brant is like, yeah, I just kind of follow. I just go around reality, like fa- trying to find Prez, talking about Prez. You know, he's not like Christ or anything, but I'm kind of talking about him like he is. Yeah, I'm just trying to find Prez. No big deal. So, um, yeah, I like it. I liked it because it was so arrestingly weird <laughs> it's extremely weird and the fa- it being based on something makes it make a lot more sense for how weird it is because it does feel like a bizarre comic it doesn't fe- it isn't like oh i had a wacky story and then i used comics to tell it which is sort of which is sort of how the undead thing feels like you like this one tell me about this one Andrew. i like this one this is so we're we're back in the back in the bar again back in the world's end and we're being told a story by this guy petrifax petrifax who is the the uh student of this guy uh claproth who we've encountered a few different times he's the guy who's dressed like the undertaker who yeah. we talked about before <laughs> And this is he uh, Petrifax is from this necropolis called the Litharge. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce? Probably not. How you pronounce I don't it. know, it man. Like I'm not from that. Pronunciation should be cooler than that. Yeah. But it's just a big city where everybody goes when they get dead. Well, I don't know if it's where everybody goes when they get dead, but it's a big city where they know everything about how every society like buries its its dead. And they seem to often be involved in some of those processes yeah 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 um and so petrifax is told by claproth to go attend this air burial which is a specific kind of burial where you just like let birds come and take all the flesh of the body yep 
Um, so he goes up and he is burying this body with three other people from the necropolis and they all start telling stories as people are wont to do. It is, I think it is actually like implied that that is part of the ritual is that they are mm-hmm. supposed yeah, to, yeah. they're supposed to sit there. They're supposed to eat. They're supposed to like take in this person's life as it was. And they're supposed yeah. to tell, they sit and eat and tell stories like that's part of this person's tradition. And all these stories are about people who have, who have died. I think like it's it's like a big thing about this necropolis is that everybody here has a sort of an awe of what they're doing and a respect for what they're doing and the people who are there doing it like on the behalf of, and the people who are doing it too. Um, like they, they view it as a duty to like remember these, these people. Cause it's one of the things that is left behind after, um, it's it's one of the one of the characters is talking about like the the air bur- burial being one of the most pure because there's like there's no headstone there's no nothing it just leaves behind you know our our memory of of burying this person yep and is one of the only only like remnants that's left behind which, so which is the to, most like, honor that yeah which is the most potent version of what I think gets said elsewhere in the story which is like all of these rites they're not for the dead they're for the living. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Like the because of that, the air burial is the most like powerful because you are not also then erecting other, you know, remembrances and things like that. Yeah. So the the first story is about this guy, Billy Scut. This was, is my uh, favorite of the three. I like, you like this Bill, one a lot. You like the story of Billy Scut. Yep. Uh Billy Scut is a <laughs> he is you know, in the olden days when we didn't really know anything about the body <laughs> and there yeah. were a bunch of like you know, norms and rules about like examining cadavers and <laughs> you know, before the EPA existed and there were Billy regulations. Sc- yeah. Billy Billy Scott's not a bad guy, but he will take recently dead people and like sell them to to like scientists yeah. and, and stuff to yeah. you know, so they can so they can learn more about how else are you gonna learn, man? How the body works. Mm-hmm. And and the story is clear to say, you know, Billy Scott's not a bad person. He was in line to be hanged behind this woman who like poisoned her entire family and then sold the kids off to a body house. So, so Billy Scott's all right, but the city, the, you know, the, the state comes up to Billy Scott and is like, because the, the thing that leads into this story is, you know, when you got to hang people in a big city, like you could usually find somebody, there's a hangman everywhere, but when you're in a small town, nobody wants to be the hangman. So how do you get the hangman? Well, you, Go to somebody who's in line to be hanged and you're like, hey, if you agree to be the hangman, we won't hang you until until you it's know, time for you to die until it's time for you to die. Yeah. Like at the end of your life. Yeah. Um. So Billy Scott's like, yeah, okay, I'll, all right, I'll do it. And he he takes a certain kind of pride in his in his work mm-hmm. because, you know, he sees everybody who's going to be hanged. and He's like, well, it could be me. So. Yeah. If I was going to be hanged, I wouldn't want somebody to like tie a bad knot or construct a bad, you know, a bad hanging stage. I don't know what you call it. The gallows, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Construct gallows. a bad gallows. Like the trap door works really well. Yeah. It just, want, just wants everything to go off without a hitch. Everything to be as like quick and humane as possible. Because, it reminds me yeah. of when a few weeks ago, Andrew watched the first episode of Deadwood with a group of friends. And there's a very... Uh, like striking hanging sequence in that episode um, where like a sheriff is making a point of a guy hanging 
to enforce the law as opposed to like mob justice, you know, taking killing a guy. But he has to like physically help the guy drop. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the drop is not tall enough. Yeah, because it's an improv- kind of an improvised hanging yeah, situation. It really is. Mm-hmm. And Scut would Scut takes pride in the fact that like that will never happen. That like yeah. but he is taking the same care that like the drop should happen. These people should have as clean and dignified a death as possible. Yeah. Even though, of course, we're still doing capital punishment, so like still doing you know. capital punishment. Well, you, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not his choice. He he had to do it. Uh, so Billy Scott's getting old, and he can't. There's one day where he can't get out of bed, and the you know the government comes by and is like, "All right, Billy Scott, it's time for you to go. Like you've got to hang. Like that's that's the deal." Mm-hmm. But Billy Scott is up out of bed, and he's like, "I am the healthiest I've ever been, and you better get out of my house because I'm not ready to die yet." Um, and it's just, it's an elaborate ruse. He's been kind of suspended from a noose, like around yep. his chest. Yeah. That helps him stand yeah. Up. So he does hang kind of technically in his way, but then he dies in his sleep and then he dies in his sleep. And he beat the system. I love Billy Scott. He, I think he's he cool. I think it's system. a cool, yeah, cool riff on hangman. I think it's a cool little story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, next story is the one about destruction where it's just, oh, yeah. it's basically destruction coming through. I mean, I, I like this one too. Oh, you're right. Yep. 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 Because everybody in this necropolis is like, this is, this is our deal. Like we've been doing this forever. Like there's never been another necropolis and we've been responsible f- for this for always. And one of the guys tells a story about, um, uh, meeting this person. It's never, he's never named as destruction in the. In you recognize book, him because, right away, though. Yeah, but because every member of the Endless has a couple of signifiers that are supposed to stay consistent throughout yep. all their depictions. Like, Destruction's thing is that he is a sort of a garrulous, garrulous? Yeah. Boisterous kind, if, kind of guy with a, what if, with a big smile. Uh, yeah. What if Gaston was blonde and you liked him? What if Gaston was responsible for all the, the forces of destruction that then brought I mean, about like the forces of renewal. What if the bounty paper towel guy was <laughs> responsible for, was the destroyer of worlds? He does look brawny? like the bounty. Ba- <laughs> Anything of the brawny guy? The it's bl- the brawny like the, guy. Yes. The brawny guy, the plaid one. Yeah. He does look sort of like that. Is that guy mm-hmm. blonde? I know. I think he's. I think he's brown hair. Brawny paper towel. I gotta be sure not to go onto DeviantArt about the brawny paper towel guy. Yeah. Oh man, he is. Kind, he is kind of blonde. Not in the modern packaging. The modern packaging. The old packaging. Think, the old packaging. He's blonde. In the modern packaging, it kind of cuts off his face from like the upper lip up. I I assume so that you can more. Yeah, uh, you you can more ably imagine your own partner's face as the brownie, the brawny paper towel <laughs> man's face. I'm also finding packages of brawny that say hashtag strength has no gender, and there's a yes, brawny well, lady on it. Brawny lady on it, but no, the 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 which means strength does have two genders. It's not <laughs> that strength has two strength has two genders. <laughs> you kind of played yourself on that one, brawny. <laughs> In fairness, I think that campaign happened Listen, in like 2015. Don't do your hobgadling equivalency. Before like, listen. They, before they invented the gender spectrum. Dang it. But now I'll, I'll just pay it. So we have, so we, for our notes, I'll paste the 
old blonde brawny paper towel guy. Definitely, dis- definitely destruction. Yeah, definitely. Definitely anyway, destruction. Destruction. He's going to destroy the mess that you just made with his strong, strong paper towels. <laughs> um, destruction is here. He's, he comes and he tells a story about how there was a necropolis before. Yeah. And they just, they came to think of it as a job. They didn't respect it enough. And then there came a day when six strangers came. Obviously, the endless. We yep. we know that we know their their signifiers and their silhouettes. At we see point. them in we see them from behind in silhouette. Yeah. Yes, and the the endless come and they say, uh, "Our sister is dead." And this is we we the reader know this is the death of the first despair who we never really meet. And and that was explained a collection or, or it was mentioned a collection or two ago. Mm-hmm. Though we've never seen this, it's, event it's been referred. It's been referred to a couple of times. Okay, but no, okay. it's it's never it's never been depicted. I don't think, I don't think there is any. This is the collection, we get. yeah, including any of the like the later like sequel prequel stuff that Gaiman does. I don't think the first despair is ever brought up. At okay, all, ever. This is the closest um, we get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our sister is dead. They said, um, the Necropolitans sort of. I don't know. They they like make light of they they don't do what the endless want them to do. And so destiny says, "Hey, your charter is revoked. This is no longer a city. It's over. It's ended." And the entire city gets blown away. Which is, I and guess, a thing that destiny how, can do. <laughs> yeah, destiny can just. Well, did destiny do it, or did destiny just know it was going to happen? It's a good point. You know, I just like I'm looking at these panels and just thinking about the reality for the endless where they experience death and like it's strongly implied that they have not experienced this before these Mm -hmm. these six entities do not know what this is yeah and they are like hey we have come they say we have come for her ceremonies and for the books of ritual which are in your keeping so like we have come to the experts to help us do the grieving and the thing that we need to do. And they're like, <laughs> well, they had already let the, I mean, they had books of ceremonies, but the books became wormy and crumbled to dust and no one cared for them because they weren't taking enough pride in their work. Hmm. Yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. Upon further revision moves, it moves this one up in my rankings. Yeah. Don't know that it dislodges the top two, but no, 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 no. Uh, and then the third one, another it's it's um the like the guy who's leading this this burial who works with um works with oh what's his name the main the the main guy oh not Petrofax the other no, guy hard hard hand <laughs> hard 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 Harry what hard <laughs> anyway it's the person who they were apprenticed to is this old lady with a hand like a bad hand mistress veltus is her mm-hmm. name and it's about it's about how she as a child like when she was apprenticed to somebody she dropped this vial and broke it and ran down in this room and there are a bunch of ceremonies hanging in the room and a voice is like hey what do you want <laughs> and she's <laughs> like well no nobody's dead i'm just hang- i'm just hiding because i don't want to get in trouble and the voice is like, all right, I fix everything. And she's like, how do I know you're telling the truth? And the voice is like, well, since you asked that, I have to, I have to wither one of your hands as proof. Forever. Yeah. As yeah, as proof that I'm cool yep. and that I exist. 
I think. And so she keeps she keeps for for decades after this, she keeps going back down into the tombs and trying to find this room again. And she never can until she's about to die. And then she goes back down again. She never really tells anybody what happens down there. But when she rushes back out, her other hand is like fixed again. Yeah, but she also looks kind of like she's been screaming about it. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, she does die like right yeah. after that. But the 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 panel where she goes down there and she encounters the voice. The voice, um, it says not the voice says this, but there were six silver ceremonies hanging in that room, shining in the darkness, and a huge book locked closed on a lectern. Like, am I supposed to? Yeah, I think that's the endless, right? It's supposed the, to be the endless. I think, I think the right? book is the book would be destiny, and the six ceremonies would be. The, the other ones? yeah which which of them is which of them is dead yeah um Interesting. and I, I i have not i i'm scared to google things about this series yeah don't do it you can google it later so i i have not tried to find out if this voice is the character or anything or if we ever learn about it but um so yeah so that's the last that's the last story mm-hmm. um and then the last issue is just wrapping up the bar stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Um, uh, Charlene gets a. Th- gets this a chance. A Petri- did get, this happens a Petrifax too? Um, but they get to the point where like it's their turn to tell a story, and they're like, "I don't have a story. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself and like why I don't have a story." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that being kind of a story in and of itself. Yeah, but Charlene's just like, yeah, I hate my job. I hate my ex. I don't know what I'm doing. I always used to know what I was doing in my life, and I don't anymore. Um, so no, I don't have a story. She would and like also, out Brant, of Brant her felt me up at a Brant felt me up at a party, and yep. we both act like it didn't happen. Yeah, she's pretty unhappy, and then she runs away, and there's this amazing. And Brant's like Brant's like women, huh? It's an amazing two panels. Where he goes, women, huh? What did I say? I mean, I didn't say anything. Well, you gotta laugh. And then four supernatural beings, well, I guess Jim's not supernatural, but from another time, are just staring at him like you numb Just nuts. like, yeah, just judging Brant for responding to that story with, well, women be shopping, I guess. <laughs> And then so the reality just, they're just storm. waiting for this. Yeah, they're yeah. waiting for the storm to peter out, and then something starts happening outside, and they go to look, and it's and a big. This, it's a big. It's big. They see this big ghostly procession. First, it's Destiny carrying a big book, mm-hmm. and then it is someone carrying a big flag. Mm-hmm. Some people carrying some kind of a coffin. Yes, and I I reckon I think. I don't know. Somebody, some of the pallbearers look like they might be some endless that we know. I don't. Yeah, maybe. I, I, it's hard from, to say. Based on the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a procession on the next page. Despair. We recognize despair. There are a lot of recognizable figures yes. in this. If you if you know. I, I saw. I, listen, I found Martin Tenbones. Okay, I found. Okay, I'm him. glad you found Martin Tenbones. Like Bast is here, Pumpkinhead yep. guy is here. Um, the, the little fairy is front the, and center. One of the angels who does, who 
took over hell. Yeah, uh, the capi- raven. Is that a capybara or the rat man or I whatever? I think that's you- the the rat guy from the, the From realm. the Ten Bones thing, yeah, right? The, from yeah, from the Martin Ten Bones story. Um, the pumpkin guy. Um, the Emperor of America is there. Oh, the Emperor of America is there, huh? Uh, Fiddler's Green is there. Yeah, it's a lot of people there. A lot of people. Um, and then, like, while this is happening, Brant, I guess, is narrating. He's mostly talking about when his dad died. And then he sees Death. And I guess that is that Delirium? That's Delirium. From yeah. behind. Mm-hmm. And Death looks very sad. And Brant is making it about himself and about him falling in love <laughs> with death. <laughs> well, it's it's. I mean, this is this is something we know about death. Um, I think I fell in love with her a little bit. Isn't that dumb? But I, it was like I knew her. Like she was my oldest, dearest friend. And the thing we know about death is that you know, she's there at the beginning. She's there at the end. Yep. Everybody knows death. That honestly, that might be one of my favorite things in the entire series. That Gaiman articulates is now that Brant, Brant goes a little bit further down the like, hey, could I get with that? Maybe, no, yeah, no, n- not that. <laughs> That's not my favorite thing in the entire series. No, no, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> my favorite thing is the thing where they talk about death being there at the beginning and the end. That death is, uh, like a bookend, it's the two bookends, it's not just the finale. Yeah, I, yeah. I like it as like. It is you coming in and out of existence. I think about that, and I think about like that. There's that scene, and we keep going back to it. We're gonna go back to it some more. But the the thing in the first book with with dream and death, like yeah. going through a day in death's life, and there's that one bit with the baby who yep. dies. Yep. And the baby's reaction to being dead is just like, oh man, that's all I get. <laughs> yep. I don't get get any more than that. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> Um, and so then we get, so everybody saw that and was like, well, weird. Then the storm's over. Storm's over. You can leave now. You're allowed mm-hmm. to leave. Everybody's allowed to leave. Not every, not everybody goes back to where they're supposed to be from. Clerk and wakes up from his drunkenness being like, Hey, I gotta go tell some people that some stuff just happened. <laughs> yup. I'm the most unhappy soul alive. He says, um, doesn't Petrifax like. Petrifax gets with on Chiron and just like rides off because he doesn't want to go back to the <laughs> yeah. back to the necropolis. And then Charlene is like, hey, I would rather work in this restaurant forever than go back anywhere with you. Yep. I'm leaving my reality. I will I refuse to snap back to reality. I'm saying I mean here. it's a good way to find new employees i guess like you just you just have the your pick of people from every like reality and timeline yeah probably you could find people who want to work and then it ends people don't want to work anymore andrew please uh and then well i mean not in our reality but maybe <laughs> no, not in our america there's got to be a reality where everybody wants to it's work it's a different all the time. america where prez is still president and where prez is president and everybody still wants to work <laughs> come on and it ends with Brant at a bar telling telling a, Velma from Scooby Doo <laughs> what is her this deal? Thing. I don't know what her deal is. <laughs> telling a telling a woman about everything that happened. We know that time has passed because he has a ponytail now. Yeah, and he looks like an '80s guy or something. <laughs> Maybe um, an early '90s guy by now. Fair but. enough, but he doesn't listen to Nirvana, please. Um, and he's a Pearl, he's a Pearl Jam guy. <laughs> and. 
She's before like, he was before he was telling her about all the stuff that happened at World's End, he was like, "Yeah, I think Eddie Vedder's right about Ticketmaster." <laughs> Eddie Vedder was right about Ticketmaster, though. He was. Yes, it's true. Everybody acts like Taylor Swift invented no <laughs> revealing that Ticketmaster sucked. It's like no people have been trying to say it for years. Hashtag strength has two genders. Listen to Eddie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she says that she like might believe him, mm-hmm. and then he walks away. Yeah, the end. that's the end. World's End. World's End. Book's End. Great book. Love it. Found I thought it. this was going to be a short one. But Me it too. Yeah. But there was but a we lot have of so many. We had so many fables and reflections to get out that. Yeah. The thing, the these ones that are just like the one-off stories are so much more complex and like form. Like, like you have to reset with every new story because yeah. it's like okay new art style new characters yep. new thrusts like and also what does the all the unique stuff that the story is doing what does it do to like undergird the the wider thematic point that that game is making with all these stories like it feels like it should take less time to talk about all these one-off ones but you have to talk about six little books inside yep. of one book, and so it takes longer than you think. Yeah, it because will. there isn't a like we can't just move to the next plot point. Mm-hmm. Like it's just one big thing. Oh, I meant to mention the the Ceramics issue. The the art was by Shea and Pensa. Yes, um, mm-hmm. was, I thought it was fun. Yeah, uh, that, that's one of the ones that that um I felt like. I mean, many many of them bounce back and forth between the frame yeah. and the. It felt and the, the most the like story, the frame you know? story, but it, yeah, but it's a, it's the way that that works draws attention to like how how different and how similar the art styles are yeah. in a way that I like. Like usually in these in these Sandman books, it's just like oh yeah, I'm reading a new issue. Maybe somebody else drew it this time. Yes, <laughs> where this one is is being more intentional about that, like the the diversity of of artist and it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just like it. It's, I like it. I don't have it's anything fun. else smart to say about it. It's just, no. it's fun. It's pretty cool. I I reckon we will find out who is in the casket. I thought it was a cool cliffhanger. Do you have any guesses? Listen, guess? the one one person that we definitely did not see in the procession, mm-hmm. the big man, mm-hmm. Tony the Tiger, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> we didn't see Dream in the procession, so yeah. I'm. Or I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I that it it could be him in there, and I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. My first thought when I first read it was like, oh, well, this wasn't my first thought. I didn't think it would have been a retroactive like this is something about Orpheus, but that that did occur to me at one point. But sure. it feels more like. And it felt like a very cool and clever way to move the series forward at the end of a book that is about a bunch of other stories. Like it just yeah. felt, and it, but it didn't feel like shoehorned. It felt mm-hmm. momentous and and kind of neat. Um, sure. Yeah, I think it, I think it might be dream, but I don't know what that even means. So okay, that's the cool thing. It's like even if that is true and a spoiler. What I have no like, idea what to yeah make of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, so next time we will do what is it called uh, the kindly ones, the kindly ones. Yes. Which if I know my okay, so this was based on Percy Jackson too. I remember. Yeah, the this one also ones. is Neil Gaiman loves these Percy Jackson books, <laughs> and he he makes all these references to them all the time. 
Those were the Furies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So maybe they'll show up. Who knows? Yeah. We, we've, we've met them several times. The three ladies who is one lady. Well, I thought those were those are not the fates. No, they're. Th- I mean, it's all the same. It's all the same entity. They don't like being called the Furies, Craig. They like to be called the kindly ones. Sure, I, but I thought the three ladies that were the fates are different. No, this is in the same Greek ladies. mythology. I don't. I. I don't know if that's true or not. But. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, if you know the listener, you can email us. Send us an email. Overduepod at gmail Hit us up on social media at OverduePod or however. Just like search us on whatever new social media platform you're using. And if we're not X, there, tell X us. us, everybody. Oh my God. Please Z us. us. I'm begging you not to X us. Zeet me out a window. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, folks, want to know more about the, the show? Pat- Where should the, they the go? Patreon this is one or not? This is an even numbered one. This so this even is numbered for one, so everybody's going to hear it. All right, everybody, go to overduepodcast.com, <laughs> which is our internet website. Up there, you're going to find the schedule for the current month of linear time that we are navigating through in our reality, yep. uh, where we tell you what books we're going to read. Uh, right now, it's it's August. August? or I mean, I, as as the public hears this, September will be creeping up, yes? Yeah, it'll be, it might even be September. Oh my goodness. Um, All right. Well, anyway, go to OverduePodcast.com. We'll tell you what month it is. We'll tell you what books we're reading. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Patreon.com slash OverduePod. It's our Patreon project. You can get these Sand By Me episodes early if you want to share our thoughts into your brain yep. with yourself. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear things early as we get into the finale, you can go to Patreon.com slash OverduePod and subscribe. Uh, we also have a discord server. We have other bonus episode recordings that you can sit in on and party with us. It's a mm-hmm. good time. Sometimes we read the Garfield fat cat three pack. Sometimes we read all kinds of stuff. It's yep. fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, as we, as we slide into the end of Sandman, just keep in mind that our next, uh, long read project is going to be on Emily Wilson's translation of the Iliad, which is out this fall. Uh, really looking forward to doing that, returning to the universe, the the cinematic universe of Stop Homer Time. Yep. Mm-hmm. That we created. And yeah, you can get those episodes early and yeah, there'll be a good time, I think. I'm excited to read the prequel to the Odyssey. Yes, the the prequel. <laughs> As everyone knows it to be. Yes. Can't wait to read the squeakle to the Odyssey after after we read. Yeah, which book is that? The, uh the, there's the, one about Telemachus, I think, that would uh, be the squeakle. Uh, <laughs> all right andrew you know what they say at the end of every episode of sand by me yeah moon's a turf That was a HeadGum Podcast.